Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Has bring it in. Nice pass to Lekkinen. Shoots it on. Rebound is loose. Bennington gets smoked into. By Nazem Kadri. By Nazem Kadri. Bennington looks a little slow to get up. Rosen and Kadri were tied up. And Bennington may be hurt. Butchnevich is out of the box. Avs drive and they score. It deflects in from the corner on Huso. And Colorado's going to get the goal. And it's none other and public enemy number one for Blues fans, Nazem Kadri. Nine seconds to go. Blues are going to have to regroup. They're going to wait for the health report on Jordan Bennington. As Kadri intentionally took him out during the game. And uh, that's going to be the end of period number three. The Abs beat the Blues 5-2. to two. Just a loose puck. I, I just tried to get my stick in there and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, just tried to poke the puck free. I think their weak side defenseman came over and kind of bumped me, and that's, uh, you know, what, what caused the collision. You know, hope he's all right. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We are broadcasting live from Enterprise Center where the Blues and the Abs are preparing for game number four here in St. Louis. And they will do so, the Blues will, without the benefit of having Jordan Bennington in net. We got the news yesterday. Binner is going to be out for at least this series with a lower body injury. No real update on exactly what it is, but Ville Husso expected to take over in net. You've got Charlie Lindgren getting the call up, and Alex, today we're watching right now as they've got the morning skate. A quick update for people uh, that are not on Twitter right now. Looks like Marco Scandella is probably going to be back in the lineup. He's skating today with uh, Justin Falk. If I'm not mistaken, with the defensive pairing. So you've got that quick update. Tori Krug is out on the ice. It does not appear that he's going to be back tonight. He was off to the side while they were going through their line rushes. But back on the ice nonetheless. A nice uh, update there and a series where you're not getting a whole lot of good injury updates. But well, the big news, though. Real quick, BK, though, to update your update. It looks like <laughs> Scandella took a couple of skates with Justin Falk, but also Callie Rosen did. Of course. So both of them <laughs> of took skates with Justin Falk. So honestly, we are not sure if Marco Scandella is going to be in there. And uh, I was hopeful, but 
two it was two line rushes for Scandella, two line rushes for Callie Rosen. So I guess we're gonna have to wait to find out what Craig Berube has to say after this practice. All right, so we'll get an update from Berube coming up after skate. I'm guessing he'll say we'll update you right before the game. Or wait so until 7:30 tonight. We'll find out more <laughs> this evening. What does this banner injury mean, man? Because as I was watching the game Saturday, I was out in Pittsburgh and we were at a bar and watching the game together and. It felt like the the air came out of the arena when that injury took place. And if I would have told you this three weeks ago, that we'd be in the second round of the playoffs and we'd all be shocked and disappointed that Jordan Bennington got hurt because that probably meant the Blues couldn't win that game, I would have called you a liar. Because at that point in time, I had more trust in Huso than I did in Bennington. That has completely flipped on its head. And now it felt like Bennington was winning the Blues these most recent games. He was outstanding. Four and one so far in the playoffs, a 950 save percentage. Can the Blues win this series with Huso in net? Can they win it? Absolutely. It's going to be very difficult, though, because Jordan Bennington, in my opinion, added extra life to this Blues team against this Avalanche squad. I think after game one, the Blues were a little hesitant in terms of that series, thinking, man, this is not going to be an easy series. But they looked in between their pipes and said, but we have this guy. And I don't think they thought that they could lose. Game two does the exact same thing. Even game three, he made a couple of big-time saves before Nazem Kadri took him out. Vili Husso is a very good goaltender. And Vili Husso did nothing wrong to lose the net to Jordan Bennington in the postseason. Billy Husso in the regular season has a 15-3-2 overall record on home ice with a 9.26 save percentage. You tell me that? 15-3-2? On home ice, Billy Husso, 15-3-2. This season? This season. Okay, I thought you said this postseason. Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) This season, in the regular season, he's 15-3-2. Like, you ask for uh, that record? You're like, yeah, that that goaltender is starting for us in the playoffs. Also, when against the Central Division in the regular season, regular season, yeah. BK, 6-1 with a 9.02 save percentage. The only difference is he hasn't played against the Colorado Avalanche, and that is where, that's where the concern sets in for me. So to answer your question, they absolutely can win this series, but you are going to need the best of Ville Husso. He showcased in Game 3 that he wasn't able to make those game-changing saves like Bennington has. Can he do it? Yes. He's going to have to do it if they want to win this series. Stanner, where are you at on this right now? I'm with Alex. Huso can do it, but he's going to have to come up with those momentum saves that he just didn't make in that game three against Colorado. Like that two-on-one where Rosen goes down, Huso gets beat. I think it was over his blocker, if I'm not mistaken. That's a momentum-type save. If he can stop that two-on-one, then you feel a little bit more comfortable. The, I'm, I'm with you also, BK. You said that the life came out of the arena when that occurred. It almost felt like the Blues after that occurred were like, I said it on, uh, I think it was post-game, it felt like they are just playing on ice. They just seemed a little bit hesitant, seemed scared, or playing they on glass, playing excuse me. They, they were playing, playing on playing glass, on excuse me. It, it just seemed, <laughs> they just seemed hesitant and a little bit uh, afraid to play their style of game. Like They almost felt like they had to uh, play a different style in front of Villejus, so they just got to get away from that. They, they've won with him back in the net before, so I, can they do it with Huso and Ed? Absolutely they can. They played really well in front of him uh, during a big stretch of this regular season. He's just going to have to find a way to come up with that momentum save that we saw from Jordan Bennington since he took over in the playoffs. And to that note, what T-Bone said there, because they did look like they were playing on eggshells against Avalanche once Huso took the net, and rightfully so, because this goaltender has not played a game 
um, since game three against the Minnesota Wild. And in all reality, you ask any goaltender, coming in in the middle of the game is probably one of the toughest things to do. And on top of that, you allow a goal on the first shot you see. So I think the Blues are going to have a different mindset in this one because they're not worried about their goaltender being cold and making sure that he sees the perfect shot. Now it's going to go back to the Blues playing the way that they do and relying on their goaltender to make that save. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I think Bennington completely changed whenever he got into the lineup. We talked about one more than the other during the Wild Series, and I think the the importance has flipped in this one. So the first one was the puck play, and that is his ability to basically be that extra defenseman that we talked about, Alex. And that was important. I think it's less important in this series because of the way that the Avs play. They skate it through the zone more than dumping it into the um, into the offensive zone. So. That, I think, was less important, although still meaningful for Jordan Bennington. He's excellent with the puck on his stick. The thing that I think is more important is his ability, as both of you guys have mentioned, against the rush. Those high-danger chances against, Bennington has been unbelievable. And here's the numbers that describe what you've been seeing with your eyes. Jordan Bennington on high-danger, unblocked shot attempts has a 90% save percentage. So basically, any high-danger shot that was unblocked by his defenseman, 90% of the time he was saving it. He was expected to save those at a 70% clip. So he was way above the expectation. Meanwhile, Villejuso on those same exact type of shots is at 62% in terms of his save percentage. He was expected to save right around that mark. So Villejuso has basically been what you expect from your goalie against those high-danger shots, most of those probably coming off of the rush, especially in this series. Meanwhile, Jordan Bennington was wildly over expectation. It is a totally unfair expectation for me to expect Villejuso to do what Jordan Bennington had done in his last five games, and yet that's what they need. That is what the Blues are going to need if they're going to be able to win this series against this Avs team. They are coming from behind now. You have got to be able to steal back um, a game here at Enterprise Center. I think they can, to answer my own question. Can they win this series with Villejuso in net? Absolutely. It just got a lot harder, though, because Jordan Bennington looked like 2019 Jordan Bennington, and it is hard for me to expect any other goalie, Ville Husso or otherwise, to be able to reach that point. But let's also remember, Ville Husso was doing this when Bennington wasn't, and that's what I was sure. thinking of last night when, you know, and I understand Blues fans very upset with everything that has taken place and very frustrated that they lost Jordan Bennington, which is amazing because three months ago, <laughs> Bennington wasn't even going to see the net in the playoffs. People were trying to trade him away, but Ville Husso was doing the exact same thing that Jordan Bennington was doing as much as, and we're going to get into this later, but as much as we're going to sit here and talk about how man, the Blues have to uh, get Jordan Bennington to steal games, the Blues have to play better in front of their goaltender. The reason they lost game three was the amount of turnovers that they had. They had a lot of young players making those reckless passes that they weren't making in game two. That's how you make Ville Husso look better. You have to tighten up in front of your own net. You do, and you've also got to be able to move on from what happened in game number three, and that's that is something that I'm really interested in hearing what the guys have to say later on today. They said all of the right things yesterday at media availability, including Craig Verubi, who talked with the media. Braden Shin was asked after the game if it was a dirty hit, what he saw Kadri do against Jordan Bennington, where he drove into the net with Rosen being right there. I'm not going to say Rosen pushed him because he frankly didn't push him, even though that's the lie that everybody nationally is spewing. So here's Braden Shin on the hit and whether or not he believed it was dirty. 
I just think, you know, from his comments, he said that he got pushed in. He's behind our guys. So I don't know how that makes sense, but um, we'll move on and worry about winning a hockey game. Craig Berube said, you look at Kadri's reputation, that's all I'm going to say. Robert Bortuzzo, you ask any player, a guy like that knows what he's doing there. Braden Shin continued, you know what you're doing when you get into that situation. Tim Peel, who we're going to talk to later on today, former NHL referee, said it seems every playoffs, Kadri's in the spotlight somehow. From his playoff or suspension issued hits in 2018 and 2019 to Justin Falk's situation and now Jordan Bennington. Is that a coincidence? Probably not. Alex, did you think it was dirty? I did. Uh, the play itself doesn't look dirty to people, but get out of here with that dumb stuff of, oh, I was pushed into him. Callie Rosen was behind him and going after the loose puck. The loose puck was to the complete opposite direction of Nazem Kadri. I, I, I think, and Craig Berube said it best, and look, Jared Bednar, the head coach for the Avalanche, was, uh, according to Peter Ball, visibly upset after he heard Berube's comments saying that the guy's trying to change his narrative in the game of hockey. You can't change the narrative when you've been suspended six times for a total of 16 playoff games and 11 regular season games when you've fallen into circumstance of these all the time. And I was listening on my way in. Um, someone retweeted the Cam and Strick podcast, Cam Jansen and Andy Strickland, and they talked to Nick Kiprios. And Kiprios, of course, the infamous player who was involved with the Grant Fuhr injury and Kiprios, they asked him, did you do that to Grant Fuhr? And he said, yes. He said, I knew what I was doing. I was in a circumstance where it looked like I wasn't going into the goaltender because Chris Pronger was tied up with me and it was a perfect scenario to go into the goaltender. Nazem Kadri might not have been trying to injure Jordan Bennington, but what he was trying to do was bump into the goaltender who was in a vulnerable position. So if you ask any player, that is a dirty play because you know there is intent to injure. So that's kind of where I'm at is I, I'm not sure if it was quote unquote dirty and I'm frankly not sure all, it, all, it really matters. That's just a, a label on something that did he know what he was doing there? Well, it depends what you're asking. Did he know he was going to hurt Jordan Bennington? No, I don't think so. I think he was basically doing the equivalent of throwing high and tight in baseball where you're trying to buzz the tower a little bit. And when you have great command, you can get away with that. So if you're Adam Wainwright and you're coming in high and tight, you got a pretty good idea of where that ball is going to go. When you're Hennessy Cabrera, sometimes well, it gets you away have from to you. Call him out like that. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. Player X. That's what you say. Bryce Harper in the face. <clears throat> he didn't mean to. He didn't want to hit Bryce Harper in the face. He was visibly broken up about it. I'm not sure that Kadri was super broken up about it, but I I think he meant to hit Binner in the same way that a pitcher sometimes means to go high and tight. And one of the unintended consequences is if you don't have great command of the ball, it might end up hitting the guy. Uh, uh, and Kadri does not have the benefit of the doubt given, as you mentioned, his history. A great example of this is what took place last night in Calgary and Edmonton. Milan Lucic, Mike Smith going after a puck, and Lucic runs into him, and he gets a game misconduct, and he's probably going to be suspended for goaltender interference. The difference there is he let up in that circumstance. Now, you can't bump the goaltender, especially when you're out of the net. So that's a penalty no matter what. But watch the play again. Nazem Kadri never lets up when he's going into yep. the goaltender there. Even if you're going after a loose puck with an odd man rush, players let up in that circumstance. So I don't really care what goes into people saying, wow, he was shoved into him, whatever. 
Nazem Kadri has a history of this, and Nazem Kadri knew exactly what he was doing when he went into Jordan Bennington. We're going to have a lot more on this throughout the day today. We will talk a little bit about how the Blues get back into this thing with a win tonight in game number four. I think this is a must-win game for the Blues. We'll get into why coming up at 1130. But coming up next, Katie Wu, our Cardinals insider for The Athletic. We'll get her recap from this weekend out in Pittsburgh. Cardinals did exactly what they needed to do and absolutely dominated once again on national television on Sunday, which led to a future Hall of Famer pitching for them. Not the one that we might have expected. <laughs> we'll talk about that next with Katie Wu here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. I was out in Pittsburgh all weekend where I was able to, for the first time in my life, Alex, attend PNC, and I got to say, one of the best baseball trips I've ever made. If you have an opportunity to go out there and have not seen that ballpark, uh, it is incredible. Now, I will say there was a little bit of a BKO this weekend. I don't know if you guys watched the broadcast. Yeah, the Bennington injury. But the Clemente Bridge is completely under construction right now. It's like hidden behind a tent, basically. There's a tarp over half of the bridge right now. So one of the ba- greatest landmarks that you can get in the view Way to go, man. from behind home plate out of Pittsburgh, it is currently under construction, which makes a lot of sense, given the fact that I was there this week. Way to go, man. We're talking over the Cardinals weekend in Pittsburgh right now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line with our friend, the Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She is Katie Wu joining us here on the show. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. How you doing this morning? You know, BK, I, I like what you said about the bridge, but I think it's important to note that we are all works in progress, right? So Amen. don't discriminate against that, that beautiful bridge. It'll come back better than ever. Um, still, what I believe, one of the best press box views in baseball, with or without the, um, I don't know, what, what would you call it, a curtain, a tent? I'm not sure. <laughs> Basically a tarp, like a, a worn-down tarp even. Katie, you know, we are all works in progress, including the Cardinals offense. And I feel like they've just come back better than ever after this weekend against Pittsburgh. Is this the jumping off point? Also, we all should appreciate that transition. It was phenomenal. Is this the jumping off point to where we can start having confidence in this offense again? You know, I think when it was early in the season, I'm thinking like, you know, mid-April, late April, there was some frustration about the inconsistency. And I think that just stemmed from the past two years of not having a very consistent offense, but I never thought the Cardinals offense this year was worth really panicking about. They always ranked around league average. And I know the the rebuttal here is that Cardinals should never aim for average. They should aim for better, but hear me out. Um, When you're looking at their stats, I mean, the Cardinals have the lowest strikeout rate in baseball offense is down throughout the game. I mean, whether you want to get into the ball controversy or not, that's up to you, but when you look at where the Cardinals rank among teams in the league, you know, they're in the, the top half of, in most, if not all categories. And if they're not in that top half, they're right below it in like the 16th or 17th mark. And I really think that uh, lowest strikeout percentage in baseball is something that we are maybe undervaluing. I mean, we saw it in, um, in New York. Good things happen when you put the ball in play. Cardinals have done a good job of just putting contact on the ball and making defenses work. There haven't been a lot of easy rolling over outs. I've been really encouraged by the kinds of at-bats the young guys and Brendan Donovan, Juan Yepes, a very small sample size. We have a Nolan Gorman. 
those have all been encouraging to me. So I, um, I've never really been an offense hater this year, and uh, I'm pretty encouraged after what they did in Pittsburgh uh, to see how they respond to this big test they have in Toronto, Milwaukee, and the Padres coming up. We're talking to Katie Wu for another few minutes here on 101 ESPN. Katie, the big debut over the weekend was for uh, Nolan Gorman, and he looked awesome. He looked really good. They didn't have him in the lineup to start things out on Saturday against the lefty, which makes sense given his splits down in the minors. But what would you make of the debut weekend for Nolan Gorman and what you saw out of him? I felt like he fit in perfectly, right? I feel like, you know, and I understand the frustration on what took so long, especially when you see how well he did over these last three days. But the Cardinals have always been very, uh, very, very specific about how they wanted Nolan Gorman to debut. It was going to be a matter of opportunity. He was only going to come up if he could play every day, which uh, current roster dictated that he could. And, you know, he's going to be in the, in the lineup almost every day at second base. President of Baseball Operations, John Mazalak, said he expects to see Nolan Gorman against almost every single right-handed pitcher. So it's exciting for me to see a guy with so much prestige and who has been so valued in this organization and has been, you know, had the fan base so excited throughout his, his progress as a top prospect to come in and look like, you know, this is exactly where he belongs. Uh, it was really encouraging. Some great at-bats. We're expected to see a lot of right-handed starters over the next homestand, so I'm sure we'll see a lot of Nolan Gorman. But it was a really encouraging debut for me, and it wasn't just the fact that he was getting hits, right? It was the fact of the type of hits, his swing path, how he was going to the gaps in the outfield, how he was racking up extra bases. Just a really encouraging debut, and it just is remarkable to see how he seems like he's just comfortable, whether it's in a big league lineup or playing second base. That's been encouraging to see. And what did you make, Katie, uh, of not just Gorman at second base, but with Tommy Edmond at shortstop also? I understand the Cardinals' hesitance to move Tommy Edmond at shortstop because he has been so good at second base. And it is, you know, I know Tommy Edmond makes everything look easily, even huh. surprise center field. But I, I, there was never really, for me at least, going to be any hesitance about Tommy Edmond playing shortstop. I mean, he played it. I, I know he played it in, uh, in the minor leagues. He played it in college. I know there's a huge difference, obviously, in the – and the types of play and the play level that is uh, required at the major league level. But, you know, I talked to him on Thursday, and he was pretty confident in his abilities, too. We, I, at this point, I wouldn't even be surprised if we see Tommy Edmond, like, next to pitch, you know. Obviously, Albert and Yachty can't get it done, so why not try Tommy Edmond next? Um, but, no, I think the middle infield is, is pretty solid right now for the Cardinals, and what makes it a little different than, with, than right now than maybe in a couple weeks prior is that you have that proven depth from Sosa and Brendan Donovan, that can really help there. So so it's a good time to try this experiment. Uh, The current roster was uh, performing a little bit under expectations, so why not bring the kids in and try to shake it up? The final question that I've got for you, Katie, what what are we expecting with the pitching plans this week? As of now, tomorrow is still, last I checked, a TBA on who's going to throw. We don't know what the update is on Steven Matz and his shoulder issues. How do you expect the pitching to shake out this week? That's a great question. I think there's, um, I don't want to say a lot of pressure on Miles Michaelis today, but they certainly like him to carry at least seven innings for the club, similar to what Adam Wainwright did on um, Friday. And then it kind of gets a little, it gets a little hazy. Uh, my assumption, I know there has not been a starter name, so please take it as my word only, would be that you see Hicks going on Tuesday. That would buy the bullpen a little bit of time with that random off day on Wednesday. Um, although Jordan Hicks is fully stretched out from a pitch count perspective, you surely like him to see a little bit more efficiency, maybe get into the fifth, sixth inning if possible, just to save the bullpen. I mean, these guys, Cardinals have a really good bullpen. They're really effective when they're able to be rested and used effectively. 
um, when they are not, when you're counting on arms to fill spots. I mean, hell on what he did yesterday, I think well, we are not talking about enough. Him and TJ McFarland, I think, really saved some arms in that bullpen. Um, but I think, you know, going forward from there, obviously there's a lot of concern about Steven Matz. Cardinals don't really necessarily want to be without him. Matthew Liberatore could potentially come back up. It just depends on um, the overall status of, of, of the starters. So we'll, we'll see from there. Cardinals, I'm assuming, feel like they have a little bit of force on their side with that off day on Wednesday. It will buy some extra time to figure out their rotation. Um, but, yeah, definitely some, some injury concerns going on over in Cardinals land. She's Katie Wu, one of the best in the business. Find her work over at The Athletic. Be sure to give her a follow on Twitter, at Katie J. Wu. Katie, we appreciate the time, as always. Thanks so much for hopping on with us on a Monday morning. We'll talk with you again next week. Thanks, guys. Sounds good. You got it. That's Katie Wu joining us here on 101 ESPN. We're going to double break here in just a little bit, but right now it sounds like Craig Berube is speaking with the media live here. We got David Perron still David talking. David Perron speaking with the media live here at Enterprise ahead of game number four on 101 ESPN. Get accomplished. Uh, same thing with like the morning skate. All right. And I always go out to, to warm up the goalies and obviously you, you try to put in the spot that they expected and things like that, but give them confidence early and uh, go from there. Classic Billy, who's so chirpy? Are you to him or him? <laughs> uh, I don't want to get into this. <laughs> I can't. Dude, some of the might not show up with fanlets at the box score, your line, what, what you guys are doing, but especially what O'Reilly's doing yeah. uh, defensively. How would you describe being yeah. able to do this? <clears throat> uh, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, we've done a good job so far. Uh, we've found a way to score goals as well, and that's important, but we got to keep doing it, and it's it's almost like I think we go into each and every game and we forget what we've done in the past and we want to do it again. And I know that Ori is definitely looking to do the same thing again tonight. It's a special uh, chance for me to play with him. I, I've said that for four years now, but I still believe it. Uh, <clears throat> just to get the chance to play against the guys that we're playing against and then finding a way through that to not only try and shut them down, but uh, find offense on the other side and stay composed within the game because we get a lot of D-zone face-offs. We get a lot of... Um, shifts in the in the d zone where uh, you're just trying to to kind of neutralize them a little bit and not give them too much and sometimes it can feel draining it, it can feel like uh, uh you don't get as much of your game going that the way that you want maybe other games uh, during the season regular season wise but uh, it's about winning the game right now and uh, we're it's an exciting challenge for us every night and booch has uh, done a good job with us i thought too Chemistry as you felt with the staff side as they are with a guy or on a line. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's almost like instant. Like from the very first game I've ever played with him, uh, I, I just kind of had a, a special feeling. Uh, very much, I mentioned it before in the past, but very much like Getzlaff and Anaheim when I played with him, I, I never felt like kind of a, a guy that I don't I don't know just kind of found me in different areas of the ice where. I always had chances. Uh, I felt like we could build the game in a winning way where it wasn't just about scoring goals, but the way we're going to play, we're going to end up scoring, and we're going to be able to do it against some of the top players on the other side. And, uh, again, it's, uh, it's about showing it uh, again tonight. That was David Perron speaking to the media here at Enterprise Center alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. If you missed any of our conversation with Katie Wu, the Cardinals insider for The Athletic, be sure to check that out after the show on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. I thought the biggest quote that we heard there, Alex, was his answer on uh, being asked about Nazem Kadri. He said, quote, I don't want to get into that. I can't, end quote. And that was it, just leaving it at that. 
man, honestly, it, it doesn't mean much until they get into the game and we see how, see how the actual response is at game time. Talk is cheap. We'll see what their action says. But that's the right quote. That's what you want to hear. Focus on the game. There's too much at stake today to get into all of the other antics. Yeah, and I mean, that's what you anticipate in this one. It's a Craig Berube-led team. I mean, after the hand pass game, and we're going to get into that a little bit later, but, you know, there was no discussion over what took place. And I know this is different because it's an injury and that was a goal, but there's no discussion over it because you can't do anything about it anymore. And these guys know that the bigger way to get back at a player like Nazem Kadri is not what Blues fans want of going out there and getting blood and pushing his face through the glass. No, it's going out there and beating Colorado in three games and sending them home for a fourth consecutive year losing in the second round. There's no discussion anymore of Nazem Kadri. If you've got the opportunity to lay a hit on him, I guarantee somebody's going to follow through like Ivan Barbashev did with Samuel Girard. But it's not going to be game three against Minnesota where we are going out of our way to hit them because they've already experienced that. When you do that, the speed of Colorado is going to odd man rush you on Ville Husso, and that is not what you want in this game right now. Do we have anybody else coming to the mic right now? So Alex it sounds Rario like we right now don't have anybody, but I also feel like we might be getting somebody sooner rather than later. Cool. So we'll stay here. Yeah. We'll continue talking about this. Again, we are live here at Enterprise Center, breaking things down ahead of game number four, which will be tonight. You'll hear pregame coverage with Alex Tanner, myself, Randy Carricker, Michelle Smallman, and Mike McKenna all breaking things down. We got everyone. Starting at <laughs> 6 o'clock. We'll take you up until puck drop at 8.50 tonight. It's all right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. So we've got plenty for you here uh, throughout the day today. The fast lane's going to be out here starting at 6, taking you up until 6 o'clock. And then, of course, pregame coverage starting at 6. Alex, we did want to talk briefly about what's going on with the secondary scoring. So far this postseason, you've had, or excuse me, in this series, zero points from Robert Thomas. He has a minus five on the ice. Vladimir uh, Tarasenko has zero goals, one assist. He has yet to have an even strength point. Brandon Saad just has the one goal. That was the empty netter. And then Braden Shin does not have a goal yet in this series. He does have the two assists at even strength. Uh, those four guys in particular, and then you could add in ba- Ivan Barbashev into that c- category as well. You've got to get more out of that secondary scoring, man. That was the strength of the team all season long. You saw in game three, the Av secondary scoring started to show up. The Blues are going to need that tonight if they're going to be able to continue having any sort of success in this series. Absolutely, and that's what I think is so frustrating about it right now if you're a Blues fan is you're doing everything you needed to do going into the series. Nathan McKinnon does not have a goal. Kale McCarr does not have a goal. Uh, Gabriel Landeskog has a goal, and it's a power play goal. Like, you have eliminated... Miko Rantanen does not have a yep. goal. You've eliminated their top players, but the problem is your top players aren't showing up. And, it, T-Bone, if we have that audio of Mike McKenna uh, from pregame Saturday night, you know, we were just discussing of the Blues' ability to match up against Colorado and how you've taken away the McKinnon line because of Ryan O'Reilly. And O'Reilly is still producing along with David Perron. Braden Shen, Vladimir Tarasenko, although those guys aren't producing, they're eliminating the Nazem Kadris and the Valerie Nachuskins and the Arturi Lekkonens. And this is what Mike McKenna had to say about the third lines on both sides in this series. I really believe that this series will be won by the third line of whichever team plays the best because the top two lines for the most part between these clubs so far have canceled. Mm -hmm. You look at that depth Mm -hmm. and that's where the Blues have found it. Jordan Cairo, two goals, third line. That's where they're going to get it. Robert Thomas, third line center, 
zero points, minus five, as you mentioned. Brandon Saad, one goal. You've got to get more from those players. Yeah, that, that's going to be the difference here is you've got to be able to have that depth of scoring that we saw all season long. And it sounds like we have uh, Craig Berube. No, this is Nico Mikola. Nico Mikola. Hey, hey. To the media here on 101 ESPN. Win the games. Are you, uh, are you, are you excited for uh, Uso today? And have you talked to him at all? Yeah, a little bit, but he's been he's been good for us the whole year. So, like, it's pretty normal. He's on the net. So, is he? Uh, uh, you know, the other players say he's pretty quiet. Is he pretty quiet around you as well, or no? Because I guess you get to talk to your native language around him. Yeah, sometimes he's pretty quiet, but like, it depends. Like, maybe in game game days we don't talk that much, but. Otherwise, he's pretty. He talks a lot for me, at least. How would you describe his his competitive level? Just the kind of competitor that you guys have in both times, Jordan and Billy, but especially Billy. What kind of a competitor is he? Like, uh, he wanna want to win. It's all about winning for him, I think. And he wanna be good and he wanna be best, like the both goalies. And let's see. Nico, what do, you, what do you want to see out of you guys tonight defensively? You played pretty good defense so far. But what do you want to see out of your squad? Uh, the same thing we've been doing, like all about five guys coming back and stop at the D zone and work together. And it's been pretty good so far, but we need to keep going, doing that and defense with the all five guys. Why do you think you guys have been so good at making adjustments and, and bouncing back, whether it's good or bad, but, but especially after losses, you guys have been incredibly good at, at turning the page and Uh Maybe not, not go like too low or too high on the games, after the games. You just need to reset and get back to work. How's it been for you when they go, which they do a lot with, with 7D and not knowing exactly who your partner might be and how we'd be, how we'd be going out? Uh, I think it's been good for so far. Like, we've been, I've been playing the whole year with the different deepers, so it's nothing new and, like, I don't mind. Was there a difference in how you prepare for a game with, with Billy versus Vinny on his puck handling and their ability to, to play the puck to you guys? Not really. No, like, I don't, I don't thought about it too much, like who's on the net and but yeah, like I I think they both are like good good with the box, so I just do the same thing with the both goalies. What you play uh, a decent amount with Borchuso, what's it like being paired with him? Yeah, it's good. Like he's a very good player, good defense demon. Uh, I think he's been working pretty pretty good. <laughs> Hi, that's Nico Mikula speaking to the assembled media here at 101, or here at Enterprise Center, rather, on your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN. Uh, not a lot to get into there. It's Mikula is a very <laughs> short-spoken individual. He puts it on the ice, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, he, he's physical. He's ready to play. He wants game four to get started, and frankly, so do all of us. And, and by the way, a couple of, of notes just while we're here waiting for Craig Berube. So, Tori Krug was just out here on the ice practice. He didn't skate 
with anything. He stayed to the side when they did their line rushes, but he was doing a lot of extra work after practice with Jim Montgomery and um, and Sean Fair, or I'm sorry, David Alexander on the ice. That at least tells me that he's trying to get back. Now, he's not playing tonight, obviously, but the fact that he was making those workouts goes to show you that Tory Krug could be closer than what we anticipated. Also, Nathan Walker, Logan Brown are still out here, which means 11 forward, 7 defensemen. And Marco Scandella has been out here as well with these guys, bag skating them, trying to get more workouts in. And remember what Barubi said, it really comes down to his decision if he's going to be playing in this series or not. Yeah, it's it's one of those things, and we don't know what the exact injury is for Marco Scandella, but we saw him the first time that he tried to come back. He played, what, four minutes, and then it was just over yeah, it for was him. like that. four shifts, I think. So if he's going to have a situation like that potentially arise once again, there's no sense in playing him because yeah. now you're stuck in a bad situation where you're basically playing a man down the rest of the game. So he needs to be comfortable feeling like he is ready to go, even if it's not at 100%, knowing that he can get through 100 percent of the game as he's currently uh as his current standing is so I, until he gets there i don't think we're going to see marco scandella here's a question for you alex and it's totally reckless speculation but a question nonetheless who do you think we see first marco scandella or tory krug i mean common sense would say marco scandella because he's closer but maybe tory krug <laughs> And it actually sounds like Craig Berube's speaking right now, so maybe he's got an answer to that. Here we go. Let's hear from the head coach of your St. Louis Blues, Craig Berube, here on 101 ESPN. So, mindset of the team, you say? Yeah, all good. Same. I think our mindset's uh, been in a good spot. Hasn't changed. You know, you know, we got a tough battle tonight and uh, tweak a few things here and there, but good skate this morning, ready to go. What are your thoughts towards uh, the threats to Cadre? I got no comment on that stuff. Do you, uh, on game day, do you talk to the goalies much or no? Uh, no. I say hi to them. <laughs> That's about it. A little, you know, it depends. It depends on certain situations. You know, the goalie, you know, Davey takes care, you know, looks, works for the goalies in the morning and talks to them a lot. Great. The players seem to talk about the coaches are really good at keeping guys even killed and staying in the moment but as the group itself why, why are they good at being resilient well a lot of them been through this and and um you know a number of times and they understand how playoffs work and the ups and downs and <clears throat> you know the bounces you get or don't get and injuries and all that stuff plays into it so um you got to just stay with it. Like, you know, things happen. Like, and uh, you can't get rattled, and you know, you can't get too high or too low. You just got to kind of keep battling and staying with it. And you have, you know, people uh, in your organization. Uh, it's good to have depth. They they got to step in and do a good job for you when injuries happen. Greg, what do you, what do you think Billy's confidence level is right now? And what can you do in game to kind of help establish that if it's not? all there right now well i think his confidence is high um you know but in game you know we got to keep checking like we are i think we're doing a good job checking right now and protecting middle ice we've got to continue to do that um you know that's a very good team over there that can really score some goals and, and create offense so but we've been doing a pretty good job of protecting middle ice and uh doing a good job checking we got to continue to do that make sure we're hard at our net you know, giving our goalies a chance to see pucks and not allowing second and third opportunities around the net. Craig, how, how did you see Billy kind of grab control of the opportunities he had this year? We talk about competitive spirit or compete level. For a guy that can seem maybe uh, a little soft-spoken, how would you describe his competitive spirit? 
Well, it's high for sure. I mean, I've had him since he was a kid here and I had him in the minors. And he came in there and he did a real good job there. Um, probably not expecting to make the team or play um, that year, but he did. And then we went in the playoffs pretty deep and he played. Um, and so, you know, he's got a calm demeanor about him. He's a quiet guy, but... You know he's pretty. He's a highly competitive guy inside. You like I said, he's a, he's a great. He's a real good goalie. He's played really well this year. So if you're not competitive, you won't. You're not going to play well. So he's a highly competitive guy. Greg, uh, you know, we saw Tory Krug out there. Just how, how's he doing? How's he coming along? Well, that's good. He's out there, so he's doing a lot better. I mean, um, I wasn't sure if he was going to skate today or not. So it was good to see him skate and um, you know, see keep keep going. Same as same as Scandella. Yeah, He's Craig, closer. Has Craig skated on Cruz? Has he skated on his own at all? Or do you know? yesterday he did. That was the first time. Have you gotten enough from Tarasenko? Yeah, I think you know for the most part. I think he's he's scored some goals. Um, uh, last game, I thought it was his best game of the series. He had a number of real good looks in the game. Uh, skated well. Was physical. You know. Uh, I thought he played a power forward type game. Um, he's got to continue to do that. And, um, you know, when he's getting his looks, he'll go in eventually. Okay, I imagine it's Puso's goal every game that he's not starting to come in and play like he's prepared like he's the starter. But it's a big difference to go from being thrust into the game after it's already started versus knowing that you're starting, right? Well, that's, yeah, it's a tougher deal for sure. Um, yeah, it's not easy, I, I, uh, especially in a playoff game, for sure, when it's the intensity is high and, um, you know. But, you know, I thought he settled in all right, you know. Um, other than, uh, you know, the goal in um, second period, you know, he'd probably want that one back, but I thought he played pretty well. well on the 2-1-1? On the yeah. Uh, do... Uh He's only started once against Colorado. Did, do you know, does that mean more film study or no? They just have a certain way to prepare. The, he'll look at film on their shooters and uh, things like that probably daily. Coach, you mentioned the depth and how it's been tested. It's been tested on the back end. You go into a, a playoff run expecting you're going to go through 8, 9, 10 defensemen. Is that, is that the Well, that's probably, yeah, I'd say so. You, you, on the back end, especially, I think uh, you're very vulnerable to losing D in the playoff series. So it's nice to have eight, nine guys around that can step in and play and do a good job for you. You're hearing the head coach of the St. Louis Blues, Craig Berube, here live from Enterprise Center on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Nope, he's done. <laughs> and that is what you heard That's from the head coach timing, of the BK. Blues. 101 ESPN is your home for the Blues. <laughs> Throughout the postseason, you've got all your coverage right here from 11 to 2 with BK and Ferrario. Fastlane is going to be live from Enterprise Center starting at 2 o'clock. And we'll have your pregame coverage starting at 6, taking you all the way until puck drop at about 8.50 today. Biggest things that we got from him. He said, good to see uh, Tori Krug back out on the ice. Yesterday was the first time that he skated again. So making progress, still a little bit of time at Sounds like for him, he said Scandella also making progress, but, quote, he's closer 
than uh, Tory Krug was the way that I interpreted uh, his comment there. So it sounds like Scandella likely closer to returning than Tory Krug on Ville So I thought it was interesting. He said he'd probably want that goal back from the second period, but otherwise thought he played pretty well. And that goes back to our conversation from the open, Alex, where uh, those are the types of goals you just can't have. And they're tough. It's a really tough save. You've got the two-on-one, and sometimes it's going to be three-on-two, those breakaways coming the other direction against this Avs team. As a goalie, you've got to be able to come up with those saves. And that's what Jordan Bennington had been doing a really good job of. If Ville Husso is going to give the Blues a chance to be able to win this game and this series, he's got to do a better job in those situations. And what we have seen in the regular season with this Blues team in front of their goaltender when Jordan Bennington was struggling and what we've seen in the playoffs when Ville Husso wasn't making those big-time saves, that's when your team drops off. Like, And I leaned over to Tanner Saturday night as soon as Ville Husso came in and gave up that first goal, and I said this team is not going to be as invested as they were prior to this. Because when a team knows that their goaltender is not on his A game, it, it feels like they start to grip the sticks a little too tight, and they focus more on the defensive side so they don't make mistakes and actually play their game. And when you're trying not to make mistakes, you're making more mistakes. So for me... It's really going to come down to the first five minutes of this game tonight for the team in front of Billy Huso. When they say see Huso make a save, that may it might not even have to be a oh that was in a highlight reel save. He just makes a big time save that gets the crowd going. Then I think the team's going to look at it as okay he's on boys let's go. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie coming up at about 15 minutes or so. All aboard the Nolan Gorman trade at, train rather. Alex is very excited about what he saw from Nolan Gorman over the weekend and one thing that doesn't go into the numbers for Gorman from the weekend that I think went a little underrated from his performance so far. We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. Questions and answers 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this one from the 314. BK, is there anything else to do in Pittsburgh other than just going to a sporting event? My gut feeling is it's essentially like going to Des Moines, but with three oh. sports teams. Am I wrong on that? Shots fired at Des Moines. Um, it's. I really enjoyed Pittsburgh. I got to be honest with you. I thought it was a really cool town. Now, it's not New York. Like, you're not going to a metropolitan area with millions upon millions of people but it's it's a cool sports city and like if you go there and you go to the area called the point where the three rivers connect have you ever been to pittsburgh before? no but i want to really bad um there's an area called the point and it's a really cool spot and during the summer there's a lot going on over there so there are things to do there's a lot of good breweries We, we went to another area that's kind of like a bigger version of Soulard and there's a bunch of shops and stuff like a farmer's market type of uh, meeting area Uh, that was really fun as well we did that yesterday in the morning there's some cool stuff to do it's just not a huge town did you go check out 
Pramanti Brothers. Pramanis, yeah. Did you go? Absolutely. Because They've got the um, the fries on the sandwiches, yeah, uh, outstanding. I've heard that because I, I watched that TV show for the longest time, that man versus food, and they went there and they showcased that place. Mm-hmm. I have wanted to go to Pittsburgh solely for that sandwich because I've, I've heard it's incredible. It, it's worth your time. Uh, I would definitely recommend All right, T-Bone, let's take a week Pittsburgh. off like BK did and go to Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. Let's do it. I would definitely recommend going to a Pirates game. Um, that, that was such a cool atmosphere. Are you man. bummed that the Penguins weren't playing? I, so I was hoping they would be yeah. because I wanted to go to the game. Like we did the, uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates game on Friday against the Cardinals. I wanted to go to the Penguins game potentially if they were going to play on Saturday. Of course, it didn't work out. But yeah, that would that would have been awesome and to be able to do. KO strikes again. <laughs> Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the three one four. Alex, what are the odds that if Ryan Reeves was still on the Blues, Kadri continues to do this nonsense against them? Oh, I, I think he does it no matter what. Yeah. He's just knowing that the repercussions are coming. I'm glad they brought that up because uh, if you watch that that Hurricanes Rangers game, Tony D'Angelo was. Uh, Uh, Of course, the former Rangers who was basically released and then he went to the Carolina Hurricanes. So he was running around doing kind of those extracurricular things last night. And Gerard Gallant basically was cussing him out on the bench and then said in his postgame afterwards, if he wants to do that ish on the ice, we've got guys who can match that. So I wouldn't be surprised if Ryan Reeves is out there. But uh, look, Nazem Kadri knows his role. And I'm not comparing the two because Kadri has been suspended and his plays are a little bit dirtier. But Nazem Kadri is the exact same player as Brad Marchand. He's the exact same player as Tom Wilson. And honestly, he's the exact same player as David Perron. Those guys know how to get underneath the skin of the opposition. Again, he's dirtier with it than some of the other players. 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 314. Hey, guys, do you think that if Nolan Gorman continues to play the way he did over the weekend, he will stay with the Cardinals for the long haul? I mean, if he plays the way he did over the weekend, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Oh! <laughs> he, he was amazing over the weekend. Get it, T-Bone. We also need to keep in mind that he went up against a AAA team in the Pittsburgh Pirates. Oh, Pittsburgh's not a real whoa. major league team. Yeah. And, and, a AAA team doesn't have that nice a stadium. That, that's, that's a true. good point. Like, what he did over the weekend was outstanding. We shouldn't expect that, though. The expectation should be that he's a really solid player for the Cardinals, and we'll get into this a little bit more on the other side, but I think the thing that impressed me most was not his bat, because I knew he had that in him. It was his defense. He was really solid over the weekend. I don't think he made any like spectacular plays, but you don't need him to. As long as you've got him playing solid defense where he's not making a bunch of errors consistently, you can get away with that guy at second base. So... Uh, I think some of the reports that we had seen, it's three games, this could change. We've seen other guys play at a position for a few days, nothing goes wrong, and then suddenly you're like, whoa, okay, we're starting to see some of the glaring holes here. Um, What what we saw from him defensively over the weekend I thought was super impressive as well. Yeah, I I, frankly, and we're going to get into this in uh, in just a bit, but I I liked everything about what we saw with Nolan Gorman, and frankly, I also enjoyed Tommy Edmund at shortstop. I I know that there was one error that was on Tommy, but... Look, I'm fine with those things happening in games as long as it's not dictating the outcome of a game because of the offense. And don't look any further than what those two did in the top of the order yesterday. I mean, when you have Tommy Evan and Nolan Gorman performing like that, you're in a great position. So I loved watching those two uh, perform at the uh, second and shortstop positions. I thought the outfield defense was worse this, this weekend than the infield oh, defense. Well, yeah, I mean, look was, at what uh, they have. <laughs> look at what they have. Sorry, no disrespect, Corey Dickerson, but I mean. That when, outfield, when, you, uh, when was a Saturday when Carlson left? Whew. Yeah. 
Boy. It's what happens, though. You know, like, I mean, we saw that last year. When you lost Harrison Bader, you lost kind of that captain in the middle of the outfield. And then when you're losing the speed and the gold glove ability of Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson, that is going to be more impactful than second base and shortstop with Edmund and Gorman this season. Keep an eye on this thing going on with uh, Harrison Bader. It, it seems like, what is it, two or three games over the last week? Fatigue, wasn't it? So he was lightheaded, apparently. I think it was on Saturday. He was dealing with apparently some sort of heel issue or something like that hmm. last week, I believe it was. Um, I, I just don't like hearing that stuff about yeah. your center fielder because there's so much ground that you've got to cover. I, I hope he's all right. And he ended up being able to play a decent amount over the weekend anyways, even though he didn't start a ton. But it's just, just surprising with the light headedness and the dizziness. That yeah. That's what really caught me off guard with him. Yeah, fingers crossed that everything's fine there, but something to something to monitor for yeah. sure. All right, last thing here from one for hey guys what's your level of intrigue about the offense at this point they seem to be turning it on a bit but i don't know if i'm just falling for something about them going up against a bad team over the weekend in pittsburgh what are your thoughts it's the same thing that i said earlier this season like great to see the offense perform like they did at the beginning of the season but let's see it against some really impactful opponents and you're going to see i don't know what the pitching matchup is for the toronto blue jays in the next two games you got barrios tonight and tomorrow you've got gossman so you've so got, you got two, two great starters. number one or two starters depending on how you want to classify and that that on top of what you're also seeing later on in this next couple of weeks where you're going to see the tampa bay rays i believe you're going to see um the team has surpassed me Milwaukee. right now but yes thank you so you got some really good opponents. Let's see what this offense does within the next th three or four weeks before I sit here and, and act like, oh, my God, it's incredible. There were elements, though, that I was very impressed by. Yeah, I'm with you. It's good to see them do it against the Pittsburgh Pirates, but I don't read too much into that. That's what they need to do. We talked about it on Friday. You got to take care of business when you go to yep. Pittsburgh, and that includes the offense, the pitching, the team as just a whole. So they did that this weekend. The next, I think it's the next uh Six, nine games, at least what it is. Two against Toronto, four Milwaukee, and three against San Diego. Uh, that'll be that'll tell me what I need to know about the offense because they're going to face really good pitching throughout those series, and that'll tell me what I need to know because when they beat up on Pittsburgh, I don't read too much into it. It's what they look like when they go up against quality pitching that I'll look into the offense a little bit more. Especially right-handed pitching, and that's yeah. why I want to see these next two against Toronto. You've got two high-level high right-handed starters that you're going to be going up against. The lefties, like if you throw a left-handed pitcher against the Cardinals, you should know exactly what's coming. They are going to destroy you because they've done that against every lefty that they've seen so far this season. That being said, the Cardinals are starting to kind of get up into the top five or ten in almost all of the real offensive categories. Now, if you're going into the expected stats, it doesn't look as good. If you go into what they've actually done so far this year, and I know, Alex, this is what you prefer because it's not what you would expect to, expect to do. It's what you actually do. Cardinals are second right now in Major League Baseball in batting average. They've got a 256 Ooh. batting average on the season, sixth in on-base percentage at 325, and they're now all the way up to eighth in slugging percentage at a 401 slug so far this year. The offense has quietly been okay. Now, I know we're going to get some texts that say, yeah, but BK, they've got 18 runs in one game, and then they score three, four, five, two, one, three in the next five, seven games. I get that. You're absolutely correct. But other teams also do that this year. Like that's just baseball in 2022. I can't explain it. I don't know why that is happening, but that's the way that it has been. So I want to see more consistency. I want to see them do better against right-handed pitching. 
But so far this year, all things considered, the offense has been all right. Now they need the pitching to be able to pick it back up. Speaking of pitching, we got a little news from the Cardinals. Dylan Carlson, Steven Matz, both going to the injured list. Angel Rondon has been optioned. So the Cardinals are recalling Junior Fernandez, Matthew Libertor, and Lars Newtbar. So I'm guessing the Libertor thing, he this will not count against his option since he's being recalled. He was with uh, the team already. Yeah, he, that's why they're able to recall him because of the IL stint for Steven Matt. So he'll probably just take Matt's spot in the rotation for the next three three turns basically through. And then Newt Bar will likely get your starts in right field over the next uh, few days at a minimum. Uh, it's a bummer for Dylan Carlson. He was playing really, really well before that hamstring injury, but this was always kind of the expectation. When he said he was feeling some tightness in it, you don't want to push that, especially this early on in the season. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to be joined by Tim Peel, uh, the former NF NHL referee. Want to get his thoughts on how he would have called the game on Saturday night with that cadre hit against Jordan Bennington. Did he think it was dirty? Does he think there should have been more done by the league? We'll talk to Tim Peel about that coming up at 1230. But next, all aboard the Nolan Gorman train. He looked good over the weekend. What's it mean for the Cardinals? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. forever send it back to the authenticators big weekend for nolan gorman alongside alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley it is bk and ferrario on 101 esp and nolan gorman over the weekend finished with five hits and 10 at bats paul DeYoung this year had 10 hits in 77 at bats so a good start for Nolan Gorman so far, the two most impressive things to me, Alex, were the two things that I was most concerned about for Gorman. Only one strikeout in his first 10 at-bats. That's outstanding. He had more walks over the weekend than he did strikeouts. That will not sustain, but it was a good sign nonetheless. The other thing was he was so much better defensively, so much more sound than I expected him to be. I don't think he's going to be a plus defender. I don't need him to be a plus defender. If he can merely be average if you can be slightly better Max Muncy defensively, that's good enough that you can make that work. You just can't be a complete negative, a liability when you're out there in the field. And so far, so good for Nolan Gorman. A good overall weekend for him out in Pittsburgh. I, 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 to be honest, I wasn't really worried about his defense at all. And maybe that that's on me not looking at how impactful that position truly is because Tommy Edmond has been unreal as a second baseman, but I just didn't view it as Nolan Gorman was going to be a liability. I was really focused in on the offense because, one, I thought you're bringing up a 21, 22-year-old, putting him in a big position, and I didn't want it to be the lights were too bright and he kind of shied away from it. No, he answered the bell regardless if it was against the Pittsburgh Pirates or another team in Major League Baseball. What really impressed me was the fact that he walked twice. I mean, that like he didn't come up looking like a free-swinging hitter. 
He came up look liking, look, looking like a guy who sat in the video room, knew what he was going up against. He was very methodical in how he was going to approach those at-bats, and you saw the power that came into it a little bit. So I, I was really impressed by that side of things, more so than the strikeouts. To that point, Tanner, I want to get your thoughts on this as well. Brendan Donovan, Juan Yepes, and Nolan Gorman have taken some of the best at-bats that I've seen so far from the Cardinals this year. Like, and- you can throw Goldie and Arenado in there, as you would expect, but... I mean, you look at Brendan Donovan, 11 walks, 10 strikeouts so far on the season. Juan Yepes, 7 walks, 14 strikeouts. 14 strikeouts and 64 at-bats is very good. And then over the weekend, Nolan Gorman, 2 walks, 1 strikeout. These guys that are coming up from the minors are taking really impressive professional at-bats right when they get up. And that's super impressive. And we got kind of called out when we made the reference a couple of weeks ago of this maybe being another Memphis Mafia for the Cardinals, T-Bone. And, I mean... At the time, I said I thought the Memphis Mafia was going to be more impactful on the pitching side than the offensive side, but I think I've changed my tone on that now. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm probably going to have to change my tone on that as well because, the, like BK said, they have had maybe the most impressive at-bats. Donovan's just got up here, and he's been hitting. He's played great, and he's he's got versatility as well. He can play just about everywhere on the diamond except for center field pitcher and catcher. You look at Juan Yepes. Yepes looks like a professional hitter. And then Nolan Gorman, I, I'm with you guys. I was really impressed this week. And the two things I had my eye on, number one was defense for me. And defensively, I thought he looked solid. I, I'm not going to say he looked – great but he looked good and it looked like what I kind of expected in terms of uh, what he's going to be at second base and then I his bat no strike or the one strikeout excuse me in those in those at bats that's what I was looking for because if you would have told me what's more likely to happen he goes five for ten in his first uh, ten at bats or he strikes out five times in his first ten at bats I probably would have said he strikes out five times in his first ten at bats just because of how high his strikeout rate was in triple a and you expect it to kind of double as he moves along here in the majors and it may over time He's going to have to. Pitchers are going to start to adjust to him the more he gets uh, more plate appearances he has here in the big leagues. But from what I saw, just from the very beginning here in his first ten at bats, I was very impressed with him. The thing that I love about these kids that are coming up is the power that they've added to this Cardinals lineup. It's something they were lacking because Tyler O'Neill hasn't gotten himself going so far this season. Nolan Gorman, Juan Yepes, Brendan Donovan combined so far this season have ten doubles and four home runs. Ten doubles, four home runs. Wow. That's essentially what you're getting or what you expected to get this year from guys like Tyler O'Neill, you know, and so you're replacing some of that production. Now it's from multiple different guys, multiple different spots in the lineup. But if you can continue getting something approaching that from these players, you're feeling pretty good about what you're getting from these young guys that have uh, been able to rise up to the major league level. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live from Enterprise Center ahead of game number four tonight. And coming up next, we got to dive into game number four. Who has more pressure on them with Ville Husso in net? The defense tightening things up or the offense getting things going with its secondary scoring? We'll talk about that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we'll talk to Tim Peel, former NHL referee. Want to get his thoughts on how he would have called Blues versus Avs game number three. Want to get his thoughts on the Bennington situation, but also there was the questionable call. I, I think they ended up getting it right, but certainly live, I thought it was going to be offsides on the Avs goal that ended up counting for them. The Blues decided not to challenge that because if they got it wrong, 
Uh, Abs would immediately go on the power play, and, and Barubi was the game's probably over. Barubi was pretty adamant yesterday about how he he even stated he's like it was offsides. He didn't even say like it was. It would have been a tough call. He said it was offsides. Oh, he said I thought it was the opposite yesterday. He he said he thought it would have been offsides. Yeah, he, at least the statement that I heard uh, on the uh, media availability was that he said that it was offsides, and he followed it up. It was a tough call regardless, but he said it was offsides. Interesting. I I felt that way live for sure. I thought it was definitely. Um, going to be called that way, and then I, I was frankly surprised that they decided not to go. Oh, it was not okay. So, Bar- oh Barubi yeah, I phrased that incorrectly. I'm sorry. It was not offside. Yeah. It was a tough view. It was a tough. Uh, it was a hard onside. challenge. It was close. You consider it a little bit, but the situation in the game, I don't think it would have been worth a challenge to give them the power play in that scenario. Uh, I understand the decision there. I-, I do think something else that I would like to see the NHL potentially go to. I'm not sure. I love the power play immediately in the playoffs in the regular season. Let's get these games moving in, in the playoffs though. Yeah. I don't know, man, I want to get that right. Yeah, I, I understand that, but I, I think they, they put that rule in place, not so much to speed up the game, but also to avoid the officials or avoid coaches to abuse it to where they can want the review. Even if they knew it was on sides to get a pause to kind of, it's basically a timeout without a timeout to where you can get your guys to reset. I feel like you lose the timeout though. And that, that, like that in of in and of itself is some sort of a penalty. I, I agree. I, I just think, I think all goals that are close to being questionable like that should be reviewed no matter what. Yeah. Like when you, when it's a questionable situation, because look at how much time was delayed there by Craig Berube trying to decide. Although I do think it was a little methodical also to make sure Billy Huso was able to kind of get his head right after that quick goal. But like, look at how much time you, you wasted there trying to figure out if you're going to review it where all you had to do if you're officials and you team up and sit there and say, man, that was a tough one. Let's just go look at New York and find out. Absolutely. Then you're letting that decide rather than somebody dictate the outcome and of the game. get it right. J- just Absolutely. get it right. I, I, I want it to be right, and that yeah. is a goal that can potentially and, and ultimately did yeah. change the outcome of the game. Don't affect the game. So exactly. I, I think you want to get that right. All right, more pressure with Huso in net because we know he's going to get to the start for the rest of this series at a minimum. Is it the defense tightening things up, making sure that he doesn't have to face too many shots? And I, I think the Blues have done a much better job of that in the last They've few years. They've outshot and outshot uh, chanced Colorado so far this series. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, is it that side of things, or is it the offense, the secondary scoring, finally starting to get things going? Which one's more important for the Blues to be able to come back in this series? For me, it is 110% tightening things up defensively. I, I just Jordan Binning. Jordan Bennington, he was engulfed in this after the last few games to where he was seeing those high-danger chances and he was making those big-time saves. Billy Huso hasn't done that since Game 3 against Minnesota, and it didn't go well for him in Game 3 against Minnesota. So I think the main thing that's going to have to take place tonight is making sure that you limit the amount of turnovers. And I'm not talking defense from just your guys on the blue line. I'm talking about your forwards back-checking, doing what you did so well in Game Number 2 to where you weren't going those cross-eyes passes that were turning into turnovers and more neutral zone time for Colorado. You're making the quick plays out of the zone, skating it out of the zone so that Colorado can't have odd man rushes. You just can't put your goaltender in a position where he is seeing three or four two-on-ones. I think you've got to get that secondary scoring going, man. Uh, Right now, other than Kairou, O'Reilly, Perron, 
you just haven't gotten enough from the forwards. Those three have combined for six goals in this series. The rest of your forwards have combined for one, and that came in an empty net situation. Colton Pareko's got more goals than four of your top nine forwards. Yeah, I, you just need more from them, and that's not to suggest that all of them have played poorly. You're getting some pretty good performances. Like I I think it was uh, Craig Berube said earlier today, he thought Vladimir Tarasenko actually had his best game yeah. uh, in game number three. I, I tend to agree with that. Uh, but eventually you've got to get some puck luck. you got to get something to be able to get those guys going. I think Pavel Buchnevich has played pretty well, all things considered, but you also need that guy that scored 30 goals this year to start scoring some goals in this series. And it's very difficult for me to say this because we know that he's playing through some pain right now, but Braden Shin's got to get going offensively where you're getting him getting the puck in the back of the net. So uh, these guys that have struggled so far to be able to score goals, you got to get them going. And maybe most importantly, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, Robert Thomas so far, zero points in the series. He's a minus five on the ice. That's a guy that if he finishes this series with numbers that resemble that, you're not going to be able to win because of how important he is to this team. Yeah, I, you need more shots from Buchnevich and Thomas and Chen. I mean, usually they're just not shooting the puck. That's the biggest thing right now. Buchnevich and Thomas have both passed up grade A scoring chances to pass the puck. And I just think rather than being passive right now, Darcy Kemper is a guy that you have shown the ability to beat him glove side, start shooting more pucks at him and making him make saves. Buchnevich, Thomas, and Barbashev have a combined eight shots on goal so far in this series. And I, I would imagine a bulk of those shots have been Pavel Buchnevich. Uh, Buchnevich actually is the fewest. He has two. Wow. Thomas has three. Barbie has three. Thomas's all came in game number three. Shin has four so far in this series. Wow. So, yeah, you're going to need more out of those guys before you get this thing going. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Alex had an adventurous weekend with some animals in his backyard. He will explain that, that in the weird. junk drawer. But coming up next, Tim Peel, former NHL referee, is going to join us to discuss what happened in game number three with Jordan Bennington, how he would have called that as a referee, and did he think that Barubi made the right call on the decision not to challenge the offsides. Talk about that all with Tim Peel coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're going back out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and we are very happy to be joined by the 20-year NHL referee, more than 1,300 games called, including at least 90 playoff games in his career. Tim Peel, the former NHL referee, is joining us now here on BK and Ferrario. Tim, we appreciate the time, and thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. How are you doing today? Hopefully get a better connection here with Tim Peel in just a second. We'll have Tanner take care of that uh, for us back in the studio. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, we are broadcasting live out here at Enterprise Center where game number four will be played later on this evening between the Blues and the Avs. Alex, it's an 8.50 puck drop. Woohoo! A ton of coverage for you guys between now and the start of the game. We'll take you up until 2 o'clock here. The Fast Lane's live here from 2 to 6. And then we'll have Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, myself, Mike McKenna. Mike McKenna. 
Michelle and Smallman. Michelle Smallman and Randy Carricker all on the pregame show, <laughs> taking you up until 8.50. So if you want Blues coverage, this is the place to get it, and we'll get some with Tim Peel here in just a moment on the show. I want to get his thoughts on the Jordan Bennington situation, how difficult of a call that is as a referee, but also how you officiate after that situation because the refs know coming into tonight, I mean, they, they've seen all of this in the in the press and all the coverage that has taken place. They know there's some bad, bad blood between these two, ga- two teams coming into tonight night how do you deal with that as an official is there something that you're able to do pregame to be able to kind of shut things down quickly what what do you do and how do you call this kind of a game early on I wonder if that's part of the reason and this is tinfoil Ferrario for you I wonder if that's part of the reason why Craig Bruby doesn't go 12-6 I wonder that's why he stays 11-7 because maybe he's anticipating more penalties to be called because that's how officials usually dictate games like this where they know that there's going to be high energy and high intensity they're expecting a little bit more physical play in this one so if that's the case maybe you see more penalties called rather than four on four you see five on four to try and make sure both sides know so maybe that's where Craig Ruby's looking at it and saying look we need a power play guy in the game also the fact that Nick Letty has not done power play time in the playoffs which is interesting I I I wish we would have uh, been able to ask that question earlier but I, I would be curious and they probably wouldn't tell us honestly but what happened with Letty on the power play? Because it seems like they trusted him on those, and then suddenly after the injury, yeah. after he was out for a couple of games, it became Scott Perunovich's power play, and he did a good job, so it's nothing against him. But that yeah, might three assists you. in three games on the power play. Yeah, get back to good. the 12 and 6 if you did want Nick Letty on there. All right, it sounds like we've got Tim Peel back on the line, former NHL referee, did the job for more than 20 years. Tim, we appreciate you taking the time for us today. I know you've given some thoughts on Twitter, but I, I did want to get your expanded thoughts on the situation with Jordan Bennington and Nazem Kadri. As a former NHL referee, as you were watching that play take place, what came to mind for you? What was your immediate reaction? Well, my immediate reaction is it's either no call or it's a minor penalty. One thing I want to let people know is this isn't the most egregious play I've ever seen in NHL playoffs. Goalies get bumped They've been getting bumped for 50 years, 75 years. It's a tactic that teams use all the time. And in real time, when that happened, I was fine with the, with the, the no call. After watching the replay, our guys could have called a minor penalty for goalie interference. But let's news, not lose sight of the fact that that really is all that, that should have been called on that play. And But the problem that I have, and you've seen in social media, is Nassim Kadri has been suspended six times in his career, three of them in the playoffs, two for Toronto, and then uh, and there was a reason that Toronto shipped him out to Colorado was because they were tired of him hurting the team in the playoffs and taking suspensions, and two of them he missed the rest of the series. And then the third one that we're well aware of was last year against Justin Falk. Now, does, does, did he mean to hurt him? I don't think so. But one thing I'm very confident on, and, and confident in my in, in, the, in how I, I referee Nazem since he's come in the league, and I like him as a, a player. He's a fantastic player. But what I would say is, he knew what he was doing. He could have stopped, and people are like, "Oh, he toe picked and this and that." He took advantage of the situation, and he's like, "Oh, I'm going for the puck. I'm accidentally going to fall on Bennington." That's how I see it. 
Tim, with that being said, from an official standpoint, how much does reputation play into that? Because earlier in the game, before Kadri has the hit, we have Ivan Barbashev's hit on Samuel Girard. And then a little bit later on, I was talking with Mike McKenna, and Mike pointed out that Barbashev bumped into Darcy Kemper, which kind of lit a fire underneath Nazem Kadri. Do officials take that into consideration during a game? I, I, I'm not sure if you if you'd say you take it into consideration, but you're certainly aware of what's going on. And before the game, the guys and the, the referees are prepared. They they have a meeting before during uh, game day. They've been talking the dressing room before the game, and we know who goes hard to the net. We know who hits hard. You know they're they're aware that Barbershev's going to hit hard. Now I, I give credit to Wes McCauley and Eric Furlot on that Barbershev hit. It's easy to call a penalty when a player's hurt. And they use good judgment by saying, sorry, this is a this is a hit that's gone bad, but Barbashev didn't do anything wrong. But to answer your question, our antennas go up after that hit on Barbashev. Our guys are, are certainly not, they're not any more prepared, but they need to be aware there may be some retaliation. And I don't think they felt at the time that Kadri hit on Bennington was retaliation, um, but they're certainly aware of the players that, that they know may cause them uh, difficulty during that game. Tim Peel, former NHL referee, is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Tim, how do you handle this as a referee going into game number four? Because it's one thing in game and game three when you know the emotions are high. But now these teams have been talking about this for the last 48 hours. They've been asked questions. I mean, Gabriel Landeskog just gave a quote uh, to the media a moment ago saying he can't even believe that this is still a conversation. Quote, the fact that it's, it is a conversation is crazy to me, but that's the way that the Blues want it, end quote. So they know going into this one that this is still going to be a heated battle how do you officiate that going into game number four first of all i i love gabriel landeskog but i'm sure his quote would be a little bit different if darcy or their starting goalie just got knocked out of the playoffs or out of out of this round so it's easy for him to say that uh, i can't believe we're still talking about that but the blues just lost their stanley cup winning goaltender as a, as an officiating crew going into this game we treat it like any other game in the playoffs. These guys are prepared. The last thing, you know, and this is what I love about Coach Berube, is I was the standby official for the Timo Meyer hand pass uh, when when uh, San Jose won in overtime, and Coach Berube didn't complain about the officiating. He turned the page. He says we have to get prepared for Game Four, and they wound up winning three state straight games going to be the same thing here there's too much leadership on this team with ryan o'reilly braden chin vladdy so on and so forth they're not going to be out there tonight uh looking to get retribution on on uh nazim kadri nor should they they they've they've got next year they got they've got lots of time if they if they want to do that they can't take themselves out of position by trying to throw a big hit they can't take a stupid penalty and then have to be on the penalty kill. I don't see this being any more physical than any other game in the playoffs. They're going to come out hard. They're going to come out prepared. And they've got one one mind, one thing in mind right now. That's to win right now. And they can do it. I, I really think that the Blues will win this game tonight. Tim, Tim, from a uh, from an official's perspective, in the, the biggest topic around the National Hockey League is how how much gray area there is with goaltender interference. How would officials like to see that be changed in terms of it's an easier penalty to be called? 
I, I wouldn't want to, honestly, I wouldn't want to see it changed at all. Like, going back, you guys remember the controversy when Brett Hall had his toe in the crease when he played for Dallas in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Dallas won the Stanley Cup. We had this stupid rule where if your toe was in the crease, foot was in the crease, the goal was disallowed. We do not want to go back to that. There is, unfortunately, a lot of judgment when it comes to goalie interference. And sometimes the call is right, sometimes... I'm not saying it's wrong, but you're always going to have 50% of the fan base that thinks it's right. The other 50% is going to think it's wrong. It's just not cut and dry. We cannot make it cut and dry because if you do, then that means nobody's ever going to go to the net, and that's how a lot of goals scored. So I don't have a problem with the way the rule is now. We've tweaked a lot of rules over the year. We have a video challenge for the for the goalie uh, interference. I think between our officials and the Situation Room in Toronto, they do a really good job. We're talking to Tim Peel for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. He's a former NHL referee. He was in the league for 20 years, had more than 1,300 games under his belt. I did want to ask you about the offsides call, or frankly the no call uh, that we saw in the second period for the goal uh, on the Avs. Did you agree with the decision from Craig Berube not to challenge that? And I know that's a difficult spot for a coach and maybe kind of a two-part question here. Uh, do you like the fact that coaches will uh, end up with a penalty? You'll go on the on the penalty kill if you lose out on that challenge. Do you think that's a good rule that the NHL implemented? I, I do because when we first brought it in, there wasn't a penalty and, and the, the coaches were challenging everything, whether it was a, a good goal or a bad, or, you know, the right call or the wrong call. And the reason being is they could get a te- they could get a free timeout if they challenged it. I like the rule the way it is. I actually tweeted out on Saturday night. I said, Blues fans, this was the correct call by the Blues coaches and Sean Farrell, who is the video guy for the St. Louis Blues. He's the one that, that calls to Steve Ott and says, I think we should challenge. I think we should not. I don't, I do not, and I think he did the right thing here. He's done a tremendous job over the last few years. I do not think there was enough evidence to overturn that call. And keep in mind, sometimes Sean and uh, the people in the back that are looking at these have a couple different angles that TV doesn't, but I 100% think they make the right call. Yeah, I'm with you, Tim, especially for how good Sean Farrell has been this season in making those judgment calls. When he doesn't make yeah. it, you you know that they saw something. He, he, Tim, he's money, go, go ahead. He's money and, and he, he's, he's money, you're right, and, and he didn't want to, you know, what he does a really good job of is separating his uh, emotions from the uh, the call, and he makes the wrong call there, and then the Blues are, are now killing the penalty, and it's not yeah, especially with Ville Husa, who had just come into the game. Uh, final one, Tim. And I'm just I'm just curious about from a fan, curious about from a fan's perspective. Uh, you hear sometimes on calls or in games with guys that who have been in the league longer, maybe reputation calls where a penalty isn't called because well he's a veteran, he knows what he's doing there. How much do officials take that into account when they're watching games in the playoffs? Um, not that much, you know, not that much, but. There might be a little validity to your point. For example, you know, um, I'll, and I'll use Corey Perry as an example. Plays for Tampa. He played for Anaheim for a long period of time, and Corey made his living, has made his living being at the crease. And he accidentally falls on on uh, the goaltender, and you know, we all know what his game is all about. But he's a tremendous player. Um, you're probably not going to give him the benefit of the doubt if he does that. Guy like Ryan O'Reilly, 
doesn't doesn't do that. Doesn't go hard. He goes harder than that, but he doesn't bump the goalie. So if, for example, he happened to bump a goalie in the playoffs, the referees are probably going to give him more leeway because they know that it wasn't on purpose and it was simply by accident. Gotcha. Tim, we'll get you out of here on this one. You mentioned earlier you think the Blues are going to be able to take down the Avs in game number four. Why is that? What are you expecting tonight from the Blues against Colorado? Well, first of all, I know they got outplayed or certainly outshot in game one, and they were one goal away from winning game one. Game two, they played tremendous. They, they just made some adjustments and had a tremendous game. Game three, I honestly believe, if it wasn't for the Bennington injury, and Billy having to come in and Billy having to come in cold, I I really think that they would have won Game Three as well. They're such a a uh, proven team in the playoffs. They've got so much leadership in that room. They've got a phenomenal coaching staff. They've got a system that they know that they have in place that they can shut down a high flying offense like Colorado. And I just really think that this team is built to win in the playoffs. We need some more production out of the second and third line. But uh, there's no reason that for me to, to not believe that, that the Blues can win, win tonight. And I quite honestly think they can win this series. He's Tim Peel, former NHL referee. We sincerely appreciate his time today here on the show. Tim, enjoy yourself tonight. Enjoy game number four and the rest of this series. And we'll talk with you again soon, man. Thanks a lot for having me on, guys. Take care. Thanks, Tim. Absolutely. That's Tim Peel joining us here on 101 ESPN. Lots more Blues coverage throughout the day-to-day coming up in about 15 minutes or so. I know that the Blues, some of the fans would love to see this team go out there and get some sort of vengeance on Kadri tonight. That can't be the focus. It cannot be the focus. I remember in game, I believe it was game three against the Wild, that Friday night game, it looked like the Blues were more interested in hitting the Wild than they were winning the game. If that happens again tonight, they will get beat. Yeah. And the series will more or less be over. They won't get beat. They'd get slaughtered. And that is, that is something that you just cannot see. And based on everything that we've heard so far, from Baruby, from the players, I don't expect that to be the, the approach. So I've got my fingers crossed that will be the case. We'll get more into that coming up at 1 o'clock. But next, let's dive into the junk drawer, including what was apparently an adventurous weekend for Alex Ferrario in his backyard. He'll explain it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live from Enterprise Center where the Blues will play game number four later on tonight. It's a late one once again between the Blues and the Abs, but we've got coverage for you all day long here in your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Alex, what do you have for us today, man? So this is how it usually goes with me around playoff time, Um, you know, especially now that my wife's pregnant. When I'm off, there's some things that just need to be done around the house. And yesterday, we tried to get some stuff done inside. And then at night, we were like, okay, well, when the baby goes to sleep, let's go outside. We were power washing the patio. I was doing a mosquito spraying around the house. I'm just trying to get stuff done. And so I'm outside, and we're power spraying the uh, patio, and we're moving stuff around. And for the wintertime, I had my electric smoker underneath one of those tarps. 
And of course, when it's under a tarp and it rains, moisture builds up. So I lift this barbecue pit up to move it. And no joke, there was a bullfrog the size of T-Bone's face. And this thing jumped at me. And I told you guys on Friday, you weren't here, but T-Bone, we did our ones got to go. And I said, I don't do reptiles. I don't do amphibians. I don't do things like that. This thing starts jumping at me. Five minutes later, I find out when I move this little awning in our patio, there's a bird's nest. You know this. I know all about the birds. It's built in this awning. And there were three birds in there, and they start dive bombing me. Then... I find out that there is a rabbit that built a little nest in our lawn to lay its little bunnies. No, and my dog nice. And my dog found it and decided to pull them all out oh, of the nest. Oh, so then my wife, who is pregnant and very emotional, by the way, <laughs> finds that there are three little bunnies that are dying on the patio because of my dog. And then, lo and behold, I walk to the back part of my there's yard. More. There's, oh, more. Wait, oh, there's, there's more. Oh, there's more. There's more. I go to the back part of my lawn, and then I find out that there's this big freaking owl that has just parked itself in hey, this that'll tree help area. Your bird problem. Not when you True. have a four-pound dog that goes outside at, by itself at night. I'm worried this owl is going to come over and pick up my <laughs> dog and take it to its nest to feed on. So right now, I feel like I'm living in the Smoky Mountains, and I just have different animals that are living in my oh, backyard. The, the what is that movie, nice, Homeward though. Bound? That's basically your backyard I right mean, now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's freaking ridiculous how many different animals that are in my backyard. And so I had just the worst day ever trying to figure out what to do with all of these animals. All right, so we've got a bullfrog. Yeah, I sprayed that bullfrog with a power sprayer, so it oh, washed I up somewhere else. I don't think you can say that on the radio. No, 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 he was fine. He just <laughs> oh, yeah, one, sure, one of his legs sure didn't well. work. It was fine. So we've got the bullfrog. We've got bunnies. Well, had bunnies. Yeah, we had bunnies. We've got birds. <laughs> My dog took care of that. And what was the other one? Uh, yeah, an owl. An owl. This, this, this big, this big thing. I'm telling you, all all flying animals seem to just eyeball me. Somebody calls you Doctor Doolittle. <laughs> no, I can't speak to him. Believe me, if I could, I would tell them to get away. I post the video of me and this bullfrog. Because my wife filmed it last night while she was laughing hysterically. But I, I want to say it was probably worse than a unedited Sopranos episode. Somebody said this is all because you've gone to Green Envy and now you have a good lawn. I mean, You're that true. is very Taking true. Care of your grass so all of the animals want to be around. Green Envy it, is making it just like a nesting habit for my animals, which I'm fine with because it's beautiful. But I, I've discovered that my dog, the breed that's in him, is a little bit of a hunting dog. So uh, that's what the shit's used for. I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, well, she goes out there and becomes best friends with the bunnies. I, I, I don't even know what's worse. The fact that my dog was chasing this big freaking bullfrog around my backyard and it was hopping at him or the fact that he killed three little bunnies and my oh, wife was laugh. just hysterical. Yeah, yeah, about yeah. It. The, the, the bunny problem is a much bigger issue for you. Uh, unfortunately. Just, it, it basically came down to last night where I told her, I said, I'm not going outside anymore. Like we're done. I'm so, not power washing. It's over from one animal house to another. Uh, I would like to give you a little bit of advice. Just Check live all with of them? your screens. Oh no, and I've make done sure that. They're not broken. I've done <laughs> because that. <laughs> once those birds get in your damn house, let me, it is their house. Let me tell you it something. Is no longer yours. Let me tell you something. If there's one thing I know, I have made sure that nothing's getting into my house. They could just stay in the outside of my house. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line from the five seven three. We had the same problem with an owl. I had to go out and bang on a pan to get it to move out. Now the frog and the bunnies are gone. You might have to leave. 
That's not going to happen. Now, now, you should have seen me every time I was trying to move this awning where the birds laid their nest in. I would walk up to it, and I would, like, Jackie Chan sidekick it to make sure they'd fly away. And they weren't. They just sat in there and laughed at me and said, yeah, go ahead and keep doing because they know I'm afraid of birds. Yeah, I've got to try to figure out what to do with my bird problem. I think they might be gone. Yeah, they might I got be home dead. yesterday from you... Pittsburgh, and I, I didn't hear them all evening, so may, maybe they're did gone. It, yeah, well, wait till the kicks in. Yeah, yeah wait till the smell funny. kicks in. Not that I noticed, but uh, I, I, I guess hate, we'll find out later on I today. I hate when living I in the 100-acre woods because this is awful. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll play a game of in or out. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. If you've got a scenario you want us to tell you if we are in or out on, we'll do that coming up at 115. But next, the Blues cannot go out there tonight looking to be able to get retaliation against Nazem Kadri. This has to be about winning. Game four, this is a must win. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Here to win the series. That's what it boils down to. You know, you don't uh, uh, focus on just him. You focus on uh, going out there and winning a hockey game. That's all you really can can, uh, control. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was Braden Shin talking about how the Blues are going to handle game number four. And I hope that's the way that this looks, Alex. I remember game three in the uh, Wild Series. The Blues got home. They had a ton of energy. And it just felt like they were hitting everything that would move. And that was their way to try to win that game. It didn't go well. And it was basically over before the game ever really started. And if they go about it the same way tonight against the Colorado Avalanche, it's going to have the same results. And so you can't go out there trying to get some sort of vigilante justice against Nazem Kadri. It's over. If you want to do some of that stuff, there are plenty of opportunities next year in the regular season where you can get that done. But for tonight... Every ounce of focus has to be on what is the best possible way for us to be able to win this game against the abs. Because if they go up three to one and they're going back home to Colorado where they all they have to do is just avoid losing three in a row. I listen, man, I, I really like this Blues team. I think they're a darn good team and I think they can still win this series. If you've got to win three in a row against this abs team, I'm not sure that's something that can be done. Yeah, this is a must win. I mean, I don't care any way you look at it. Anytime a, play, a series is down 3 nothing or 3-1, it's very difficult for the teams to come back in, and, and history will tell you that. But on top of it, you're going up against a Colorado Avalanche team that, one, is very stingy defensively and in their goal, and two, is lethal when it comes to their offense. So this is a must-win for the Blues, and I'm so glad Tim Peel said it because I thought that from the moment that everything took place after game number three is this feels like that hand-pass game. And I understand... Those are two very different circumstances of one was just a goal that went in and you had the exact same team come back the next game. And this one, you just lost probably the goaltender that could have led you to another Stanley Cup. But in all reality, Vili Husso is a very good goaltender also. He just got the short end of the straw going in a game where he was cold and didn't really have the opportunity and the team kind of let him down. This is one of those moments, though, where, as Tim Peel mentioned, your leadership steps up. And I love the way that these players have talked about it. You know, Braden Shen basically said, I'm not talking about the Nazem Kadri. Craig Berube, David Perron, Robert Bortuzzo, they answered it initially and then said, we're moving on from it because that's the only way you can win this series. And I know Blues fans, they want to see blood tonight. They want retribution. They want to see Nazem Kadri uh, go into the boards hard. I don't, I don't want that. I don't care about that. 
and frankly, they if that's a byproduct of them playing their game, so be it. Excellent. Yeah. If Great. He puts More himself power in that position, you, but... do it. But otherwise, why wouldn't you want your retribution being sending Colorado home in three games? Because Colorado right now is probably thinking, Gabriel Landeskog said it best, why are they even talking about it still? Colorado's thinking this is our moment. And frankly, that's the best way to get retribution on top of the fact that Nazem Kadri's an unrestricted free agent. Who knows if Colorado's able to re-sign him? That's your retribution in this game. Don't worry about putting his face through the boards. You've got to worry about beating this Colorado team and playing tighter in front of your goaltender. This is your fork in the road moment of game num- or of series number two. The first round, it was game four as well. You were going into that ma- that game completely undermanned your defensive core was shredded by injuries and I don't think anybody nationally thought the Blues were going to be able to win that game and that was the kitchen sink game where you go back to Jordan Bennington you've got the 11 and 7 they made all of the adjustments with the way that they were playing and suddenly it worked and it all clicked and the Blues ended up winning the next three games and they move on to the second round after beating the Minnesota Wild in six uh, in six games I don't know if that's going to be the way this one goes or not, but this is the fork in the road moment of we're going to look back on that play with Jordan Bennington as either being the moment that the Blues won the series where everything turned around and Ville Husso stepped up in a big way. Maybe it's Vladimir Tarasenko or Braden Shin, whoever ends up being the heroes of tonight's game. And that's how, what propelled the Blues on to the Western Conference final. Or we're going to look back on that and that's going to be the what if. What if the Blues had Jordan Bennington the rest of the playoffs. What if he doesn't get hurt there or they don't allow that quick goal to uh, the Avs? What if all of these things didn't go in that direction? And that's what we're going to look back on this as. This is going to be the moment. And tonight determines which way history remembers that moment. Yeah, and and in all reality, I mean, look, I understand there's some skepticism of Vili Husso going into this game, especially for how he's played not just in the postseason, but down the stretch in the regular season where he was giving up three, four, five goals, and people are thinking maybe he's hit his mark. Vili Husso is an unrestricted free agent. Vili Husso knows what's in front of him right now where all eyes are focused on him in this series against the Colorado Avalanche. You're about to find out if you're going to get a big payday at the end of this season or if you're viewed as a backup goaltender. And I can guarantee you, from what everyone has said, and Jeremy Rutherford uh, retweeted earlier today an article he did earlier this season talking with a, a former Finland goaltender, Jonas Corposalo, talking about how Vili Husso shines brightest in big moments. And think about it. They lose Jordan Bennington just in terms of the play. He steps up and helps his team make the playoffs. Now is the moment where I, if, if you would have flipped this and Ville Husso was playing poorly or if he got injured in the playoffs and Jordan Bennington stepped in, everyone would be saying this is the moment for Jordan Bennington. And I'm looking at it the exact same way. You lose Jordan Bennington, this is Billy Husso's moment, but the team has have to have the buy-in in front of him. So, Alex, in game four of the Wild Series, you went to 11-7, and seven, I believe that was when they started that. And Jordan Bennington got the start in net, and I think they uh, switched up the lines a little bit going into that game as well. What are the adjustments tonight in your mind? Because there's going to be something. I don't know right now what it is. I think the lines, based on what we saw in the line rushes, are basically going to stay the same. But you heard earlier today from um, Craig Berube, he said there are going to be some little tweaks. I don't know what they are. I'm sure it's something game plan wise. But what do you expect to be the thing that changes tonight from what we saw in the first three games of this series? Other than obviously who's starting in that. Man, I don't don't really know if there's going to be line changes because... 
frankly, I think they like the matchups. It's just a matter of getting guys going. I can see Alexei Torpchenko playing more up on that third line with Shannon Tarasenko and maybe Barbashev being down on the fourth line with, with Tyler Bozak. Um, I can see at one point maybe going back to Thomas Tarasenko and Buchnevich because they haven't really played together um, other than that first game against Colorado when they switched things up. But in all reality, I think the matchups are set perfectly. There's a reason Nathan McKinnon and Cam McCarr don't have points or goals so far in this series, and it's because Ryan O'Reilly's line has matched up very well. And there's a reason that Nazem Kadri's line before Game 3 was struggling. They got to the point where they moved Landeskog up with uh, Rantanen and McKinnon because they weren't getting offense from that second line. That was Braden Shen's line matched up with them. So in all reality, the only real changes I can see in this one is focusing more on finding offense for Robert Thomas, for Brandon Saad, for Braden Shen, but I just don't know how much line juggling they're going to be doing. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I'm not sure how much line juggling they're going to do. Maybe they look for just a better matchup for that Thomas line if they can find one. I I, I could see, though, where they do decide to move Torpchenko up, or maybe it is Bruby maybe starts this game with the lines that we've seen, and then maybe like 10 minutes in, if they're not doing much offensively, maybe then we start to see some line juggling. I could see that. We know how Craig Bruby likes to mix things up in games and make those uh, line adjustments then. He may be thinking, okay, here's our last gasp effort with what we have right here. Ten minutes into this game, I wouldn't be shocked if he decides to make a couple of moves. Maybe he ends up bumping Barbie down and Torpchenko goes up or uh, something along those lines where maybe he moves up a, uh, if Barbershev's playing well, moves him up and they lower Sod down. Something like that. Maybe it's something where it's more of in-game adjustments we see within the first like ten minutes just so he gets a feel of how these guys are going to come out and react coming off of the big injury in game three and just see how they come out, how they respond in front of Billy Huso. And in all reality, BK, I mean, Bruby's done all the changes that you can ask for. I mean, you can't keep juggling up the lines because you're just going to be sacrificing more chemistry. This is to the point now where if you're Craig Berube, you look at your players and say, guys, we've done everything we can. This is up to you. This is up to you to get in front of the net, to make life difficult for Darcy Kemper, to play as a unit. I mean, his quotes after game two said it all. When we play as a five-man unit, nobody can beat us. And that's what it's getting back to because they got away from it in game three. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN in 15 minutes. What's the reasonable amount of concern over the Cardinals' current injury issues with their rotation? We'll get into that coming up at 1.30. But next, let's play a game of in or out here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line. If you've got something for in or out, let's start out with this one from the six one eight. In or out, guys. The Cardinals will trade for a starter before Jack Flaherty returns from the IL. Ow. I think Matthew Levitor looked okay. He didn't look great, but he looked okay. I mean, if, if you're just needing to get by for a couple of weeks, I think they're fine in that circumstance. And look, Jake Woodford would probably get a call up again. You'd probably see a Johan Oviedo, maybe a Zach Thompson. Angel Rondon looked okay. So, no, they're not making a trade. I'm, I'm out on that. Yeah, I'm out on that as well. I don't think they'd make a trade because of what Alex said. They've got plenty of options. I thought Libertor was okay in his debut. You've got Zach Thompson that's down there. You've got Woodford, as you mentioned, Oviedo. You've got my personal favorite, uh, Connor Thomas, that's down there, the left-hander that throws strikes. So uh, I, they're not going to make a trade for a star. I'm out on that. 
Yeah, they have too many internal options that they're going to go to first. And I think, what, around 4th of July-ish, maybe, is probably when we're expecting something from Jack, somewhere around then. Um, I, I don't think they will make a trade before that. We saw last year, like, June happened, and yeah. they didn't make they a trade for they a starter. They ain't making a trade until <laughs> so, the deadline. And it'll be know. the team that they're playing against who guy can walk across the uh, field. Yeah, I, I'm not expecting that. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Alex, in or out, if the Blues sign Nick Letty this offseason, it will be a two-a contract similar to what we saw from Mark Giordano, who signed this weekend with Toronto. Do you see this? Yeah. This two is... years, like $1.7 million in total? $800,000 per year. Look, what what is this? One, Mark Giordano knows that he's not getting paid big bucks this offseason, and two, he's from Toronto. He could have made a hell of a lot more than that, though. Oh, absolutely. Uh, he probably could have made closer to, like, $2 million. Somebody would have overpaid him, but it's also he's a, he's from Toronto. So I think this is a hometown team. I think he he saw the fact that the Maple Leafs went to seven games with the Tampa Bay Lightning that's about to sweep the Florida Panthers. I, I think he sees the, the opportunity in front of him that maybe he can chase a Stanley Cup with this team. Uh, in the next couple of seasons. I'm out on this, by the way. Nick Letty is not signing a Mark Giordano contract. If Nick Letty's signing, he's probably going to sign something closer to Marco Scandella, maybe a little bit higher than that because, frankly, he's younger than Mark Giordano. What is he? He's 30 years old. He's got another good contract in him, so I'm out on that. Yeah, I'm out on that as well. I just can't see him taking that kind of a bargain-type deal like Mark Giordano got. So I'm out. I, th- I agree with Alex. Probably closer to the Scandella-type money. If he were from St. Louis and he wanted to play for the Blues, maybe you could have that discussion. Yeah, this is the Kachuk deal. Yeah. Well, Kachuk's well, not $800,000 $800, a year. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> nice try, though, but the Kachuks ain't doing that cheap money. Yeah, I, I would love to see a two-year deal worth $2 million for Nick Letty, but it just ain't happening. Mark Giordano signed a deal that I don't think you could put that in front of Letty's people and they would laugh at you. I think if, I think if, if Nick Letty likes where he's at right now, I, I mean, why wouldn't you when you're playing like this? I think you could see something closer to the Marco Scandella deal for a Nick Letty, but I also think that if I'm him... And if I'm his team, I'm looking at it as we might be able to get some decent money from another team after watching what he has done in the playoffs. Yeah, I would want to hit the market at a minimum. Mm-hmm. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Guys, in or out, at some point this uh, this series, we will once again see the reunion of the Perron, Shin, and O'Reilly line. I'm out on this. Yeah, I'm out I think on they that. like Shin as the center for that third line. Mostly because they just haven't been able to get what they need from Ivan Barbashev as the center. Um, I, I think if you're going to see another change to that line, you could see Kyra go up there. You could see a Brandon Saad go up to that line. But no, I, I'm out on them putting Shen back with them. I, I think they want Shen at the center position right now. I, I'm out on that as well. And when they were together, they weren't. Shen wasn't generating with O'Reilly and Perron. It, it was mostly O'Reilly and Perron. And Bucinavich, I thought, played one of his best games of the series, playing up there with O'Reilly and Perron. So I, I just don't see them moving Shen back up to that line. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out. Guys, in or out, we will see Brendan Donovan getting the majority of the starts in the corner outfield while you have Dylan Carlson out of the lineup. In. Corey Dickerson struggles a little bit out there. So you've got two spots now, really, because you've got the left Carlson. Well, Wanya Pez is going to be one of them. Yeah, so I, I think you'll have Yepes in left field, and probably. Donovan in right. With Donovan's bat, you got to keep him in the lineup. Well, they also just brought up um, Newtbar. Newtbar. Oh, yeah, well. that's right. And Newtbar is pretty solid defensively, even though we're not really sure what you're getting out of his bat. He had a couple of yeah. home runs, I think, yesterday. Hit yeah, a grand slam. Yeah, hit three home runs. He ended up hitting three. Yeah. Yep, call him up. He'll be starting there. But you got to keep Donovan's bat in the game. Does he get DH spots over 
um, Corey Dickerson since you're seeing a bunch of righties? I was about I to bet, say. So I bet Newpar gets those DH opportunities against right-handed pitching. But you want his defense out there. I think you put Yepes in, in at the DH spot. Yeah, Donovan, Donovan and Newbar. left and Newpar and right. That, I I, that's see. probably the way you do it against right-handed pitching. Yeah, I, I think that might be the way they go. So I, I don't even remember what the in or out question was, but I'll say I'm in on it. Uh, I, I think that's what Donovan I think that, gets the majority of the starts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in on it then because I, I think you're right. Cause you got to keep his bat in the lineup. I don't think they're going to play him at short and put Edmund in the outfield. I don't think they'll do that. Um, Cause I think they'll view Edmund a little bit better defensively at short than what Donovan is. So you plug him in one of those corner outfield spots. You figure out what you're going to do with Yepes and uh new bar. If you want him in the lineup, there's an easy way. I mean, we just talked about it. There's an easy way to figure it all out. It's just a matter of what do you want it more? You want defensive uh, better defensively, or how do you want to get guys at bats? Like, do you want Yepes to be playing the field and getting at bats because then he's more in tune with the game rather than being DH? That's that's really the only thing he's going to have to Marmol's going to have to settle when it comes to making that decision. Yeah, it seems like he's been fine with the DH stuff, so I'm not too worried about that. I I would rather have the better defense out there. Uh, they do have a lot of flexibility, though, man. With Edmund, you can move him everywhere. Apparently, he can still play center field. Uh, no, let's stop that. <laughs> Colton Wong did, did it, too, and it didn't work. Uh, Nolan Gorman can play second or third if needed. Yepes can play first base or corner, DH. Donovan can basically play everywhere other than catcher and maybe pitcher. I, I think you saw Lars Newbar brought up because they don't want to do what they did with Tommy Edmund. Yeah. Now, that's definitely why. Why not play Pools at right? He's done it before. Left. He played left. Yeah. Okay, fine. Either one. He's pitched already. Why not put him in the outfield? That's tongue-in-cheek, guys. I, mean, I would rather would see have him to pitch play again a, than play in the outfield. You would, you would have no. to play a uh, four-man outfield and put someone out there with Pujols. Oh, left. softball rules? Okay, yeah, I yeah. like it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. In or out, the ideal trade deadline addition would be Madison Bumgarner. What does he have left on his deal? He's got like two years left. Is he still pitching well for Arizona? Uh, yeah, I think so. He's got a lot of money tied to him, though, too, though, doesn't yeah, he? That's why I was yeah, wondering like, what the. I think it's like two years and like, like 30 million. million. He's got two more years left after this year at $23 million next year and 14 in 2024. Out, out. I don't want that contract. I'd say I'm in on it. What? If he's pitching well, who else are you going to get? Someone that's really cheaper. Yeah, the guys that are t- cheaper are usually worse. That's not true. Don't you remember uh, Wade LeBlanc? Yeah. I think he How's would, he doing right now in majors? He retired. Okay. Yeah. Because he was bad. If you could get the uh, the Diamondbacks to take on like $9 million of that contract next year, so you pay him $14 million in 23 and 14 in 24. Yeah. take on money? That's probably the way you could make something like that work. I, I'm going to say I'm out. I don't think this is a move that the Cardinals would make because that's still a bunch of money, and you're going to have then multiple pitchers tied up into their mid-30s at big money deals. That's not something I would prefer to do. But if the Diamondbacks were willing to do it, eh, I could see it. A trade for Cattell Marte before Madison. That I would. Well, yeah, but that would cost a crazy oh, amount of wow. prospects. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out. Guys, in or out, the Blues win tonight and ultimately take this series. In, 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 in. I don't think it's going to win three in a row, but I think you could see a Game 7 victory in Colorado. I predicted Blues in seven before the series. I have no reason to go back on that prediction. I said six, but I will go back on that prediction. Mostly because of Bennington. I think I'll be in on this because I think they, the Blues have shown they are good at responding when it comes to dealing with adversity. So I'll I'll buy in on that. They will go on to win this game. Winning the series homers. is going to be tough. I, we'll see. But 
I'll just, why not? I want to live longer. I'll be optimistic. I mean, we saw what they did in Game 4 of the last series. Solid. It was a similar spot where nobody thought that they would be able to come back in that series, certainly not in that game. And Game 4 basically won the series for yeah. him. BK was basically wearing his funeral gear for Game 4 against he Minnesota. Was. Come on. I showed up here happened. in a suit and tie, and it's like, what are you it here was, for? He said, I'm here for that the I was Blues worried funeral. About, not Game 4. Uh, I, so if they were able to win Game 4 against the Wild, I, I see no reason why they, they can't do the same thing tonight. It's not going to be easy by any stretch, but they what, could do it. What game does Charlie Lindgren get in? Okay. If five, that happens, then five. I'm picking the Y. <laughs> then I'm picking the, the that's, that's when the Blues really win. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind, and we will have your chance to win a pair of Cardinals tickets, so stay tuned for that. That's coming up in about 15 minutes. Next, what's the reasonable amount of concern about the Cardinals' injury issues when it comes to their pitching? They're lacking innings right now, and they're going to need to pick those up somewhere. Who's going to give them to them? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think the, the frustration you're seeing over the last few starts for some of these guys is just too many walks maybe just arguably too many pitches and not allowing themselves to go deeper in a game, thus putting more pressure on a bullpen. And, you know, with the new rules this year of, of options for pitchers at 15 days, it does put a little bit more strain on, on how you think about moving players up and down on the roster. So, you know, we need we need these guys to go back to, to attacking the strike zone and then allowing them to put the ball in play and trust their defense. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was John Mosaloc who joined Tanner and Alex on Friday when I was out to talk about Hicks and Hudson and what they've done in the rotation in their recent turns. And guys, they just haven't gotten deep enough into games. If you're looking at the last time that one of those two guys went six innings, and we haven't seen that yet from Hicks as he was on the uh, uh, the the innings limits the pitch limit, rather. The last time that we saw one of those two guys go deep was on May 3rd when Dakota Hudson threw six innings. In their last four starts combined, they've thrown a total of 36 innings. So that's eight starts, 36 innings. That's just not enough from your rotation. You need those guys at the back end to give you more. And when they're struggling, you can't also have Steven Matz go out there and give you literally nothing yesterday with the shoulder issue. And now he's been placed on the IL. Thank God for Rondon, who went out there and uh, was able to buy you some innings. And if you end up getting a rough start and then you get no length out of your long man there, uh, that could hurt you going into this series against the Blue Jays. Instead, they have something close to a fully rested bullpen for these two games before the off day on Wednesday. So we ended up working out all right. But they basically have three-fifths of their rotation right now with Hicks, Hudson, and Mats, giving them zero length. Those three guys combined over their last 12 starts have given you uh, at least six innings twice. Alex, this is something that has to get fixed if this rotation is going to be as good as we kind of hoped that it would be after the first month of the season. Absolutely. And, I mean, a perfect example is what we saw with Matthew Levitore on the mound against the Pittsburgh Pirates. I, I leaned over to T-Bone 
and I think it was that last inning that he was in, and Pittsburgh was starting to score some runs, and I said, why is he still out there? And T-Bone, you told me, it's like it's because the bullpen is taxed. Yep. And that is the problem that you cannot have right now, and that's the biggest thing that I was concerned about when what we saw from Dakota Hudson, from Steven Matz, from Jordan Hicks, is you've got two guys that are giving you length, and then your other three in your rotation are forced to come into games in the third, fourth inning. And you... you you're going to you're going to be forced to have to make a move for a pitcher at the trade deadline, which I hate to say, but maybe it works out better for you because Gorman and Edmund are are performing well early on. But you might be forced to go get pitching because you're not getting enough length and you can't lose your bullpen. So something that I, I guess if you're going to one example of what you're talking about there, it would be last Thursday, right? When Dakota Hudson only gave you four and two-thirds innings, you ended up going to Nick Whitgren in that spot. And I know there were a lot of fans on Twitter saying something to the effect of, why are you going to Whitgren here? Why not go to Helsley or Gallegos or one of those guys? And the answer was, it was the fifth inning, man. And you didn't get enough length out of your starter to feel comfortable feeling like that was going to be the high leverage spot in the game. Now, eventually, they got two innings out of Andre Pallante. He gave up zero earned runs. Wasn't great, but gave up zero earned runs. You went to Hennessy Cabrera. He was able to keep things close. Helsley gave you an inning. And then, of course, you got into uh, extra innings, and we all know how it ended. But the Cardinals were able to get to those high leverage relievers at the end because of the length that they got out of Andre Pallante. But you hope not to have to need that kind of length as often as they're needing it right now. It, I, I don't know that right now I'm willing to say, okay, they're going to have to trade for a starter because maybe eventually Jack Flaherty can be that guy. If Steven Matz has been dealing with something with the shoulder and maybe that's been uh, part of the issue for him, uh, maybe eventually he's able to get closer to the guy that you thought you were signing in the offseason but they need somebody to step up. You can't be getting this from Hudson and Hicks and maybe it's Libertor or whoever's filling into that fifth spot right now while Matz is out. They're going to have to get at least one of those guys going consistently five plus. I'm not asking for you to go seven scoreless. That's that's the job of guys like Michaelis and Wayno right now, and they've been doing great. But you need one of those back-end starters to really step up and be a legit number three for you right now. See, I think you need two, T-Bone. I think you need two of those three. And in all reality, those two that I'm talking about, Steven Matz, who's now on the injured list. So when he comes back in Dakota Hudson, because Jordan Hicks, I'm just I'm not anticipating that to be like this goes back to the offense, though, right? If you get more from your offense, maybe it's not as important that you get two of them consistently going six. See, yes. I, think, I think it's still you got to have them go six because the bullpen is just going to get taxed yeah, on a consistent thing. basis. I don't want to have to use that bullpen for four innings in in two out of five starts. Like, I that's just too much in my opinion. Like, I, I think you need to get three of those five guys going for you to at least the fifth inning, and honestly, four guys doing that. You, I think you can get away with it if you have two guys that don't consistently cover plus five, but it can't be so inconsistent to the point where we're talking about. Hudson hasn't done it. What was the date? May 3rd. Is that what you said? Yep. Since he's last done it. That that just can't be the case. Because I think a four and a five starter, which is what Hudson and Hicks are, you don't expect them to give you six innings every outing. But you expect a little bit more of it being kind of like out of four starts, two of the four, they're going to cover six. And you just don't feel confident in that right now in a Hudson and a Hicks. And then you ask the question of, you know, would you go and acquire a starter? I mean, right now I, I wouldn't because I feel like when you get a healthy match, I think he's a guy that you're relying on that will actually be able to cover that six innings along with a Jack Flaherty. And I think the Cardinals have plenty of starting depth in terms of starting pitching that they can turn to. We mentioned it during in and out. It's just a matter of, if those guys are going to be viewed as depth pieces, I don't expect those guys to cover six innings when they get called up here. Like Libertor, he's been recalled. He's probably taken match a spot. I don't expect him to go out there and be an innings workhorse for you covering six innings. I expect him to give me the solid 
five innings, but that puts the pressure on because Matz is out. Hudson has to be able to deliver on a solid six-inning performance because if not, we're now talking about three of five spots in the rotation where you're getting probably five innings or less, and the bullpen is going to become taxed and worn down. Hudson is going to have to step up. I kind of agree with Alex. I don't really have much expectation for Jordan Hicks in terms of him being able to go cover six innings on a consistent basis. He's built up now. We'll see. But he just hasn't shown. He never, to me, showed the command that uh, he'd be able to do that even when he was healthy back in the bullpen at, at the time a couple of years back. We do have an update on what is expected for the rotation. Tonight it's going to be Miles Michaelis. This is according to Jeff Jones. Tuesday night it'll be Jordan Hicks against Toronto. Uh, you've got Hudson going on Thursday against Milwaukee. Wayno on Friday. And then Matthew Liberatore will be starting on Saturday at home against Milwaukee. So that's the way that the rotation is set for now. That's probably what it's going to look like for the next two or three turns as they try to get uh, Stephen Matz healthy uh, while he's on the 15-day IL. Man, I, I think if you're putting a, a fine note on this, I, I think it's to go to Hudson that has to step up. Absolutely. He, he's just got to be what Alex thought he could be coming into the season. And maybe that doesn't mean he's a number two starter or something like that, a front-end guy. If you're a sinker baller, though, you've got to be able to command your stuff. You have to throw more strikes. I'm looking right now at the uh, the strike rate leaders in Major League Baseball. He doesn't qualify for it right now because he hasn't thrown enough pitches. But the worst guy in Major League Baseball in terms of the, the quality strikes, it's at 60%. And that's Jose Quintana. It is below that right now for um, for what you've seen this year from Dakota Hudson. You've, you've got to get something approaching 60% strike rate. It, it has to be at least at that level. That's the worst of all of the qualified starters, and he's been far below that so far this year. It's been like 50 to 55% in most of his starts recently. That's a difference maker for me. I mean, there, it really is because in all reality, the hope is Jack Flaherty can return to form for you, and the hope is Steven Matz comes off of this injured list and returns to form. And if that's the case, you've got four guys there that you're really trusting, and then you add in a Dakota Hudson. I mean, that's a dangerous five some for you but it all comes down to Dakota Hudson not throwing 25 pitches in the first inning and not being in a situation where you're looking at warming up your bullpen in the third inning because if you can get five innings from Dakota Hudson I think you're smooth sailing with how much you're utilizing the bullpen alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Cardinals did what they needed to over the weekend against Pittsburgh you've got to take care of these bad teams that are on your schedule uh, the Pirates they're terrible uh, so are the Cubs so are the Reds those three combined have won less than 40 percent of their games their run differential on the season is minus 150 they're just they're really bad teams in the bottom of your division and the Cardinals were able to take advantage of them they're seven and two now against the Reds and Pirates so far this year 12 of their next 24 games come against those three you've got to be able to win what 80 percent of those games against those three teams if you're going to have a chance to be able to uh, finish atop this division it doesn't get any easier though over the next 10 or so you've got Toronto for two games over the next couple of days. Then you've got a four-game set against Milwaukee, three against San Diego. This is where we really find out what this team is. They are going to have a big-time measuring stick 10 days or so against these three teams. And we talked about the uh, the pitching. The offense is what I'm going to be paying attention to over the next 10 days because these are some really good right-handed pitchers that you're about to face, and that's been the issue for the offense all season long. And right now you've got a lot of lefty bats up. You've got Brendan Donovan. You've got uh, Lars Newbar in the outfield for you. You're going to go to Nolan Gorman quite a bit over the next 10 days or so. 
Let's find out what this looks like with these young guys being able to get an extended stretch of playing time. Yeah, and I mean, when you talk about you're seeing Burrios with the Toronto Blue Jays, you're talking about Gossman, who was with the Giants last year, and then you're talking about, I don't know how the Milwaukee rotation is set up, but I would imagine you're going to see two of the three of Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta, or Hauser in that circumstance, who's been pitching really well for them. So, yeah, this is the moment that I think everyone is going to be judging the offense a lot more than what they saw against Pittsburgh. You got the job done, which was great to see, but when it comes to some of these guys, you're going to be judging them off of how you go up against this type of of uh, pitching and I would also say that like let's not hit the panic button again when the offense struggles in this circumstance because this is kind of the warm-ups in my opinion but this stretch take advantage of the bad teams win some series against the teams that are in a lot of people's opinions, better than the Cardinals. And then I think you're looking at a successful stretch of games. Coming up next, we're going to give you an opportunity to win a pair of tickets to a Cardinals game. We'll do that on the other side, and we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind with our final thoughts going into game number four here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kiley. 101 ESPN is your chance to win a pair of tickets to see the Cardinals take on the Brewers this Friday night at Bush Stadium. 2022 is the 40th anniversary of the 82 World Series championship team and this Friday night 25,000 fans ages 16 or older will take home a 1982 inspired baseball t-shirt featuring the roster that won the World Series that season. Get all the details on this Friday's 1982 Inspired Baseball t-shirt giveaway for Cardinals versus Brewers now at cardinals.com slash promotions, or you can listen to us throughout the week this week, and if you are texter number 101 right now at 65780, and you can tell us which animal Alex's dog ate over the weekend. You have that at 101 or 65780, and you're texter number 101. If you've got the animal for us, we will give you a pair of tickets to see the Cardinals take on the Brewers this Friday night at Bush. All right, let's get into the BK and Ferrario Rewind. Final thoughts going into game number four tonight as we are live out here at Enterprise Center, and we will have your pregame coverage starting at 6 o'clock with myself, Alex Ferrario, and Tanner Hendrickson. Uh, Randy Carriker and Michelle Smallman will also be out here for pregame coverage uh, leading up to the game. Alex, what are you expecting in this one? Just 10,000-foot view. What are you expecting in game number four tonight from the Blues and the Avs? I'm expecting a very identical performance of what we saw in game four against the Minnesota Wild. I'm expecting um, meticulous moves on how they're exiting out of their zone. I'm expecting the Blues to be going back to how they performed in game two against Colorado and really limiting them to get those odd man rushes, uh, the turnovers to be at a minimum. And in all reality, I'm expecting a lot of five-on-five hockey. Uh, And part of me, we we said this before, Tim Peel, that I wondered if maybe Craig Berube and his staff are expecting more penalties to make sure it doesn't get out of hand. But I think the Blues are going to go about this as the veteran group that they are. If this was flipped, I think Colorado might come out and start hitting everything because they're an emotional group. I think the Blues know that they've been in circumstances like this before with adversity, and the way that they can get back in this series is pulling things even and sending things back to Colorado because if you do that, you do two things. One, you show confidence that your goaltender's fine, and two, I think you start to put a little doubt in the minds of the Colorado Avalanche thinking, oh, man, what did we just do? 
I would agree with you. I think it is going to be five on five a lot as well tonight. I think it's going to come down to those third lines. We talked about it a little bit earlier in the show. I think whatever third line has the best game is going to determine who wins this one. I, I expect this to be kind of about that 3-2 range is going to be probably the outcome of the game. I expect a limited amount of power plays, probably two or three per side. I don't even think anybody got three in the last game. And the other thing I expect, I expect the Blues to come out and maybe have a little bit of a early push, a quick push early on in this game, see if they can just kind of show that they're over – I don't want to say over, but not going to fall into the cadre narrative of going out there and just trying to get some retaliation against him. I expect to see a push from them, and I do expect Villiers to be tested a lot early on. I expect Colorado to throw everything they've got on net. The puck be at the blue line, they're going to throw it on net. Villiers can't give up a quote-unquote soft goal early on in this game because if he does, it could break the St. Louis Blues early on. Yeah, Yeah, I'm just curious to find out what – what if any adjustments are made going into tonight? Because Alex, you referenced game number four in the Wild series. That was when the Blues threw everything at the wall to see what stuck. Mm-hmm. They they went with a new goalie. They decided to go with the eleven and seven. Shen they switched up, up line. the lines. Like the, everything that you could do, they changed up the game plan. Everything you could do uh, to throw a series on its head, turn a series on its head. It, they did. And this one, I don't think I expect that. I don't think it's going to be a whole lot of adjustments in terms of the lines. Uh, you know who's going to start in net tonight. It's going to be Ville Husso. I think they kind of have the game plan to be able to beat the Avs. There's not a whole lot that you can do to change things. I just expect a more inspired performance, and I expect it to be a cleaner game from them. They've done everything. I mean, you've shut down Nathan McKinnon because of O'Reilly and Perron in, in playing with Pavel Buchnevich, and you found another matchup against their second scoring line, which is Nazem Kadri and Arturi Lekkonen and either, either Landeskog or Nachuskin. Shen, Tarasenko, and uh, Barbashev have done a really good job against them. It comes down to that third line, and it comes down to special teams. That's essentially what has dictated both win, or wins on both sides through this series. I just think it's, there's going to be a lot more focus on not making those long-distance passes across the ice and more focus on, look, let's go back to the 10- to 15-foot passes, let's go back to skating the puck out of our zone, and let's go back to playing as a five-man unit because, as Craig Berube said after Game 2, nobody can beat them if they're playing that way. Puck drop tonight at 8.50. We'll have your pregame coverage starting at 6 o'clock. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11. The Fast Lane coming up next from 2 to 6 right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.